Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the Pick Aside Podcast. My name is Joel Moran and I'm here with Jack Bartek and this is now episode 71. In this episode, we will be talking about who made the NBA All-Star Reserves and discuss which players got snubbed. Then we will give our rookie power rankings, talk about Zach Levine, DeMarcus Cousins being released, the Jazz big win over the Lakers, and debating on whether the Dallas Mavericks should trade Kristaps Porzingis. Then shifting to the football portion of this episode, we will then talk about Isaiah Wilson calling out the Titans, which young QB will have a breakout 2021 season, potential landing spots for Russell Wilson, if Cam Newton will get another shot to start in the NFL, and we'll preview the offseason for for the Arizona Cardinals and the San Francisco 49ers. So as you guys can hear, it's going to be a really packed episode. We're going to talk about both basketball and football. I can't wait to talk about both. And finally, this uh, Jack is here. Uh, yeah, this two in a row. Yes, Riv was supposed to be here today, but who knows what happened to him. But <laughs> yes, for the past week, I've been doing it uh, two episodes by myself, and now we've at least... We got two thirds of the of the crew back on and doing a podcast, which is always good. Hopefully, Rivers on for the next next episode. But we have to talk about it: the NBA All Star reserves. The NBA All Star reserves got announced. As, as everybody knows, uh, or if you didn't know, the coaches are the ones who vote for which players get in. In the Western Conference, Anthony Davis was voted in, but he was replaced by Devin Booker. Paul George, Rudy Gobert, Damian Lillard, Donovan Mitchell, Chris Paul, and Zion Williamson. In the Eastern Conference, Jalen Brown was voted in. So was James Harden, Zach Levine, Julius Randle, Ben Simmons, Jason Tatum, and Nikola Vucevic. What do you think about the players who got in? I mean, I remember when we were talking about potential reserves and potential snubs a couple of episodes ago. It was probably like three weeks now. And and you could just tell from the list of guys that were left off when we were preparing our guesses that there was going to be more snubs this year than probably any other year. But honestly, the way they came out, I, I wasn't that mad with the rosters. I looked at them, and I don't think that there was anybody on either side that is there that didn't deserve to be there. But at the same time, there was some big snubs because a lot of guys are having great years this year. I agree. I will say this. Anthony Davis should have never got voted in. He is a superstar. He is one of the better players in the NBA. I had him coming in. I had him as the second best player coming into this season. But based on the year that he's had, averaging 20 to 22 points per game, like 10 rebounds, he wasn't playing like the Anthony Davis that we all know. And he was, he's been injured for the majority of the season. So the fact that the coaches even voted Anthony Davis in was pretty upsetting. And it just goes to show that the All-Star game is more political than anything, to be honest. But all in all, I like this list. Everybody knows how I feel about James Harden. He should have started over Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal had no business starting in the All-Star game, especially because the Wizards are losing so bad. James Harden not only is playing at an MVP caliber level, but the Brooklyn Nets are second in the East. There is no way he should have not been starting. But outside of that, Jalen Brown, I think, 
Uh, he probably deserved it. I think so. Jason Tatum, Zach Levine, Julius Randle. I'm happy he got in. Ben Simmons, Nikola Vucevic. But when we talk about snubs in the Eastern Conference, you got a few: Demontis Sabonis, Chris Middleton, Trey Young, Bam Adebayo, Fred Van Vliet. If you want, if you want to put him in that category, for me in the East, Demontis Sabonis, I think should have made it over Vucevic. At least, at least. The Pacers are fourth in the East. Sabonis is averaging a double-double, 20 and 10, the same as Vucevic, and the Magic aren't even in the playoff race right now. So he should have definitely gotten over Vucevic. Ben Simmons, I'm okay with. I'm not too mad, even though maybe you could put in Trey Young over him. And I'll just say it. I mean, Jalen Brown, as much as he's having a great year, but I think two Boston Celtics players should have not made it. It was either Jalen Brown or Jason Tatum. I think Jalen Brown has ha- has been having a slightly better year than Tatum. So I would have left one of those guys out just because you can't have two all-stars on the same team and you guys are not winning. It just doesn't add up. And then you look at the West, Paul George, I agree. We go Bear, I agree. Dame, I agree. Mitchell, I agree. Chris Paul, even though the stats don't stand out, I 100% agree with that pick, and I would have picked him over Devin Booker as well. Zion Williamson, he's up in the air but because they're not winning, but in terms of his impact alone, I would have put him there. In the West, guys that didn't make it were Mike Conley, Shea, and De'Aaron Fox for the most part. Yeah, and people were, yeah. people were mad that Devin Booker didn't make it off, yeah. off the rip. but We I knew mean, he was going to get in. Yeah, we knew exactly, especially with the Anthony Davis injury. But I mean, you said it about Chris Paul. I think that with the coaches voting on it, it says a lot about how the coaches feel. Those two have been impacting that team. And when you watch, I think that Chris Paul has a bigger impact on them winning games than Devin Booker has this season overall. And that's not to take away from Devin Booker. I think it's just says a lot about Chris Paul and what he brings to the table. Um, you, You see the leap they've taken as a team this season. And then out east, if I had to make one change, I agree with you. Would have been, I would have put Sabonis in there, and I would have considered either taking out Ben Simmons or Vucevic, but I'm not mad at any of the guys that made it. I don't think there was anybody in the game this year that didn't deserve to be there, I think. so. It just goes to show how many players could have been in the All-Star game. I mean, you had even guys like Gordon Hayward, who is playing really well in, in Charlotte right now, who didn't make it. And I will say this. Mike Conley, he probably should have been the third guy to make it. Like, if it wasn't – because it's hard to take one of these guys out. As You're not going to take Zion out because you know not only is Zion having a great season, but you know he is box office. Yeah. If he's and put, him at the All-Star yeah, game just makes exactly. it more exciting. If like, he's putting up the numbers to be there, he'll be there. Yeah. Donovan Mitchell, you're not going to put Conley over Mitchell. Dame, you're not going to put Conley over Dame. Gobert, maybe you can, but I wouldn't put Conley over Gobert. Paul George, I wouldn't put Conley over Paul George. Really, it was just between Anthony Davis and Chris Paul. Like I said, I thought I thought Anthony Davis should have never made it. So because of that, I would have, you know, Booker was there already because he took his spot. It's really between Mike Conley and Chris Paul. And as, as much as I, I think that Mike Conley is having a fantastic season, I'm not putting him over Chris Paul. I'm not doing it. I'm not going to be the guy to vote for Mike Conley over Chris Paul. But I think, if anything, what this just shows is that 
the all-star game should be expanded. It shouldn't be 12 players that make it every season. It should be about 15. I would be cool with 15 guys. Yeah, it should be about 15. I mean, because you look at the NBA now, there are about 20 players averaging 20 points per game now in the NBA. That That is a big jump from where we were just 10 or 5 years ago. And because of that, more players are deserving to be in this game. You've seen last year Bradley Beal and Zach Levine were snubbed. Now this season, Bradley Beal starting, Zach Levine made it. He's averaging like 29 points per game. And two all-star starters from the East last year are not in it and are not in the game this season. Pascal Siakam and Trey Young. It just goes I to show you. Trey Young started last year. Yeah, both starters from last season are not even in the all-star game this season. And I feel like people have really soured to Trey Young this season with, you know, I'm going to sound like an old man here, but his play style is just not, personally for me, it has not been enjoyable to watch this year. I don't like the way the Hawks have been running their offense, and I feel like that's turned people against Trey Young a little bit. You know, not really his fault, and clearly it's paying off in his numbers, not really in the win and loss column, but... I people don't like this take. The NBA is more talented than it's ever been. And people will disagree with me, but there are more talented guys at the top of the league now than there ever have been before. So I agree with you there. If, if there was ever a time to expand the All-Star game, it would be right now. And especially in a season like this where, you know, playing in empty arenas, I think it's clearly had an impact on these guys' numbers. A lot of guys are having career seasons, so... Uh, this year would have been a perfect year to expand the rosters. Yeah, and if T.J. Warren was playing, he probably would have been <laughs> the All-Star game as well. But, yeah, I mean, talking about the All-Star reserves, you can say some people got snubbed. I forgot to mention DeMar DeRozan, Tobias Harris, Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler, though, he missed too many games, and the Heat aren't that good, even though they're eighth seed now. But at the time of the voting, the Heat weren't that good. All in all, I'm pretty okay with this list. I know that Jazz fans really wish that Mike Conley would have made it, and he's more than deserving. He he should have been an all-star a long, a long time ago. He's one of those guys that might go down as one of the best players to not make an all-star team. Yeah, I, I actually didn't even believe that the other day when I heard that he had never played in an all-star game mm-hmm. because he's had such a great career, especially those days in Memphis, but I guess that Memphis team was kind of like those Atlanta Hawks teams where they didn't really have one true superstar, but it was just a great collection of players. And the West was so tough during those years that, I mean, he, he got what happened to him this year happened to him back then. He just, he was great, but he just wasn't good enough. And it's unfortunate because he is playing at an all-star level this year. But when it comes down to Chris Paul and him, like you said, I think Chris Paul is the clear and obvious choice. Guys that are watching right now live on YouTube, stay tuned into this live because we are going to be taking callers at the end of this episode. We will be taking maybe five to ten callers if there's time for it. But now we are going to go into our second topic, NBA rookie power rankings. There have been a lot of phenomenal rookies this in this current season right now. I mean, the guy who headlines the list is LaMelo Ball. We all know LaMelo Ball is playing fantastic. You got guys like Tyrese Halliburton, who we all think is a steal of the draft because of where he landed and where we all thought he was supposed to go. So I have 10 rookies here. I'm going to rank them 1 to 10. I don't know how much you have. If you have 1 to 5, 
regardless. My number one rookie this season so far is none other than LaMelo Ball. I think that's pretty obvious to everybody. He's averaging 19. He's averaging 19, 6, and 6 in 11 starts this season, shooting 44% from the field and 40% from three in those starts. And for the year, he's averaging 15, 6, and 6. And to be honest, when you just watch LaMelo play, you see somebody who is destined to become a star player in this league. He plays with so much poise already as a rookie, and he has a really bright future. And in this rookie race, I think he's the clear-cut number one guy. Yeah, I think you'd have a hard time finding anybody who wouldn't put LaMelo number one right now. And I said a couple weeks ago when we were talking about most impressive rookies that I wasn't impressed by what LaMelo is doing. I am officially impressed by him. I've watched him a couple times now over the past few weeks where since he's come into that starting role, not only does he look like he belongs, but he looks comfortable. And that's a hard thing for a rookie to do coming into the NBA. But with his professional basketball experience, it's been a seamless transition. He just he's got a knack for the game and there's no other way to put it. I know it sounds cliche, but when you watch him, he, he really does look like he's a superstar in the making, and he's going to have a great career. Our one-two may be the same because my number two is pretty obvious as well. Tyrese Halliburton averaging 13-4-5. and five. He's averaging 16-4-5 and five in the month of February, and he had a really great game against the Nets, and that game caught the attention of James Harden and Kyrie Irving as after the game – They were talking to him, giving him some advice, giving him some props for what he did in that game. I mean, he's been so confident in his pull-up game. He's gained that confidence. And I will mention it every single time Tyrese Halliburton comes up because he should, as much as I hate that the Knicks passed on him because I actually wanted Halliburton instead of Obi Toppin, I hate it more for the Suns. I really do. I hate it more for the Suns because, yes, Chris Paul is their point guard, but how many years does Chris Paul really have left? They could have had a star point guard learning under Chris Paul and Tyrese Halliburton for when Chris Paul finally retires. Tyrese Halliburton would have been ready to take the reins, and they would have been off and going. But instead, they took Jalen Smith, and we all at the time knew that Jalen Smith was not worthy of that 10th overall pick, but... The second player on this rookie rankings list has to be Tyrese Halliburton. Yeah, I agree with you. I'm also going with Halliburton. He just he he kind of is also like Lamelo Ball in the sense that he's just comfortable out there. Like from day one, he stepped in and looked like he's belonged. He's not only played great for a rookie, but he's played great compared to all NBA players in the league. He's been one of the most efficient three point shooters in the NBA. And he's been able to step in and what I think has been really impressive is that he's been able to play next to De'Aaron Fox which was a lot of people's questions coming in, is how are they going to fit? And he's really made it work. I think he's looked awesome in really all aspects of the game. He he did it all at Iowa State, and it's carried over to now. And like you said, steal the draft. My third guy is not Anthony Edwards. My third guy is Patrick Williams. He's averaging 10 points per game, five rebounds, about a steal and a block, shooting 47% from the field and 39% point seven percent from three which is basically 40 percent and in the month of February he's averaging 11 and six and I think he's just been steady all year he hasn't had a bad month yet where he's shooting horribly where he's not playing good his offense is going to pick up but he was drafted because he was already a finished product defensively coming out of the draft 
He's been a great defender for Chicago in on a team that they needed defense. They got him. And I think, you know, Anthony Edwards, he does have his highlight plays, and you could put him third because of how many points he's averaging. But personally for me, his efficiency is just awful. I, I just, you know, Anthony Edwards, I, I hope that he picks it up sooner rather than later. He is still a rookie, so I'm not going to chastise him for it. But his efficiency truly is awful. And I'll just say it, Patrick Williams is my third. Fourth is Anthony Edwards, just because of the points he's averaging. He's averaging 14 points per game, averaging 15 in the month of February. And I think that D'Lo going out might have helped Edwards more because now he has more shot attempts. But he's shooting 36% from the field and 30% from three. I mean, his efficiency is truly awful. And I don't know how much credit I can truly give Edwards or how high I can put him on the list when his efficiency is this awful. He's playing a lot of minutes per game, too. It's not like he's playing a little bit. I might This may be a hot take, but it wasn't too long ago where Kevin Knox was the Knicks rookie, and he was shooting horrible from the field like this and still averaging like 12 to 13 points per game. Kevin Knox wasn't good. I think Anthony Edwards will be good. But right now, his efficiency is god-awful. Yeah, I also don't have Anthony Edwards at three. I, I'll give you a hint. I have him at four just because I think he's shown flashes and I think it's hurt him that he's had to deal with injuries with Carl Towns and D'Angelo Russell. They really haven't had a set lineup there in Minnesota. They fired their coach. That organization's a mess right now, but I think he's shown some good flashes. But at three, I went with the guy that I think you'll be happy about, Emmanuel Quickly. Even though oh. I don't think he's gotten the minutes he's deserved in some nights, when he's been out there, I've been really impressed with him. He's shown the ability to not just be able to score the ball at the NBA level, but also be able to handle the rock, play make, create opportunities for his teammates. He's fit in pretty well defensively with Thibodeau's system. I think he's ended up being a really good pick for the Knicks, and it kind of eases the wounds of not taking Halliburton at, I believe, eight, right? Yes, eight. eight when they took Toppin. Yeah. So, I mean, you get Toppin and quickly on top of it. I think quickly is one of the biggest steals of the draft beyond Halliburton. So listen to this. In 2018, Kevin Knox's rookie season, he played 29 minutes per game, basically. Averaged 12.8 points per game, which is 13, basically. Shot 37% from the field and 34% from three and averaged four and a half rebounds. Anthony Edwards right now plays 29 minutes per game, is averaging 14 points per game, shooting 37% from the field and 31.6% from three and averaging four rebounds a game. I'm just saying their rookie seasons so far are awfully similar. And even though I'm I'm still really high on Anthony, Anthony Edwards and in terms of like God-given ability and talent and just physical traits, Anthony Edwards is head and shoulders above Kevin Knox. I'm just saying he is struggling right now, and a concern out of the draft for Edwards was that he didn't truly love basketball. So I don't know. Yeah, me personally, if I was a Timberwolves during the draft, I was gonna I would have took taken Lamelo. That was my number one pick, and in hindsight, I think that was right, of course, to take Lamelo number one. But they went with Edwards, and you know you can't be mad at it. But at the end of the day. He he is he he has these flashy highlight plays and they're phenomenal, but he isn't shooting good. Like he's not. 
the Grizzlies, or uh, not the Grizzlies, the Timberwolves overall concern me as an organization because although Carl Towns has turned into the superstar we thought he would be ever since then and before then, they've just had a track record of busts and guys not living up to their potential. And now you take a guy like Anthony Edwards who, like we said on draft night, was a concern with his love for the game, and you put him in a situation that really has not been great for rookies coming into the league, it's got to be a concern moving forward if he's just going to be another one in the line of guys who haven't panned out. So the fifth best rookie in my leaderboard right now is not Emmanuel Quickly. It's wow. it's Sadiq Bey. He's averaging 9.6 points per game, four rebounds, shooting 41% from the field, 40% from three, and in the month of February averaging 13.1 points per game, and he's maintaining that same level of efficiency the reason I didn't take quickly over Bay is because not only is, is Bay, he's more efficient than quickly right now, but his height, his length, and his defense, I think, puts him over quickly. Sadiq Bay is a guy that I thought was going to be good out of Villanova like right away. I thought he was NBA ready. I know Brooklyn hopes that they would have kept him, but Shamit has been playing better. But Sadiq Bay, <laughs> Sadiq Bay is a rookie. And he is built like a tank. Like you watch him, he looks like an NBA player. He already has an NBA body. And for him to be shooting 40% from three already, it, it just makes him it just his it just projects him to become a perfect three and D player. Yeah, I went with Patrick Williams at five. A lot of the reasons you mentioned, although I said on draft night I thought he was picked a little high, I did think he would be a good pro. And a lot of people didn't even know who he was coming out of college because he didn't start at Florida State. But he has an NBA body, and he's got NBA skill set, and it's translated. And I feel like he's gotten better the more and more I've watched him as he gets acclimated. And I personally like the Bulls' young core. I think they're headed in the right direction. I think they should keep Zach Levine around. And I think overall, Patrick Williams fits in really well with what they're doing there. Yep. The sixth player is Emmanuel Quickly. He's averaging 12 points per game, but what's most impressive is that he's only playing 18 minutes. He's not even playing over 20 minutes, and he's averaging double digits in scoring, which no other rookie right now is doing. Shooting 39% from the field, 36.5% from three, and his shooting has really helped out a Knicks team whose forte is not shooting the three ball well. His stats have dipped a little bit in February, but I think the acquisition of Derrick Rose has only made Emmanuel Quickly better because I think he's a more natural two guard than a one. And Emmanuel Quickly, he's 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 given Knicks fans hope for this rookie class. We all hoped that Obi Toppin was going to be the face of this rookie class for us, but it ended up being Emmanuel Quickly, and he's brought a spark to the Knicks. Yeah, at at six, I went with Sadiq Bey. You mentioned him before coming out of Villanova. I really liked him especially where the Pistons got him in the draft, a 3-and-D guy. I knew he was going to be able to come into the league and make an impact just because his skill set, 3-and-D, is exactly what teams are looking for. He landed in a perfect spot to step on the court immediately. You know, if he was in Brooklyn right now, who knows if he would even be getting minutes because I think he'd be getting minutes. I, I think he would help him out on the defensive end for sure, but uh, he's landed in a good spot to be able to get the ball in his hands and, and you know, learn the ropes trial by fire and he's really done well and he's gotten better and better every time I've watched him just like I was saying about Patrick Williams so I'm excited for him you know he's been one of the only bright spots in Detroit this season 
Seventh on my list is Desmond Bain, averaging 10 points per game, 47% from the field, and astonishing 46% from three. And in the month of February, he's averaging about 12 points per game. Desmond Bain was the second-best shooter in the draft. Aaron Neesmith was one because of his outlier year at Vanderbilt. But if you look at a body of work in college, Desmond Bain was the more consistent shooter throughout. I know Boston is regretting trading him because Boston had him. They traded him to Memphis, and he's making a big impact for Memphis right now. I went with, well, this is, uh, I'm freestyling here because I only had five, but I did have some honorable mentions, so I'm throwing together here. But I'm going to go with Jay Sean Tate. I like what he's been doing with the Rockets, especially, you know, in this rebuild mode after the loss of James Harden. There's been a couple different guys stepping up in Houston, although it hasn't necessarily translated to wins as of late. For an undrafted guy, Tate has really impressed me, and he looks to be a building block for them as they move forward. Yeah, my next guy at number eight is Jay Sean Tate. The the only reason I have him this low is because he's 25. Like I, <laughs> I can't, you know, you're 25. You should be playing this good once you're in the NBA. But he's averaging 10 points per game, five rebounds. He's shooting 54% from the field. And what stands out the most is his hustle and his defense. He's averaging 12 and 6 in February. And Jay Sean Tate, even when Harden was there, because I watched a lot of Houston when Harden was there, <coughs> Jay Sean Tate was really good. He was a good hustler. He was a good defender. He always showed a ton of energy. But I can only have him so high because he is older by a more than a couple of years on everybody on this list. A 25-year-old rookie is pretty crazy, especially in the current NBA. I feel like if you stay more than like two years, you're not even looked at on draft boards. You look at guys like Miles Powell and, and Cassius Winston had such great college careers and didn't yeah. even get, get looked at in the draft. But I'm going to go with Desmond Bain at, I believe this is eight, for a lot of the reasons you mentioned. He was a great shooter in college, and he's come out and played great for the Grizzlies. He just adds to that young core of guys. They've done a spectacular job drafting the past couple of years, and acquiring him on draft night was a great move. Gives them a shooter that they didn't necessarily have too much of coming into the season, and he's really been that dead-eye shooter that they were looking for. Yeah, and I'm going to just say my ninth and 10th right now. Teo Maladone at OK in OKC right now, averaging 7.7 points per game, three rebounds, three assists, and in the month of February, averaging nine, three, and three. He's a guy who does a little bit of everything for OKC. Sometimes he spots up, sometimes he plays the one. He's he facilitates. He's a he has a lot of upside. He has a lot of physical tools that you can work with, and I think that he has a bright future in the league. But number ten, Xavier Tillman, a small ball center. He they they drafted him on day two and he's proven to be really good for them so far, averaging eight points and five rebounds. Really shows a lot of promise at the defensive end. And Memphis, I mean, they got two young guys in Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman who can be solid building blocks for the future. Already a solid young core, but now they just added on to it with Desmond Bain and Xavier Tillman, and they, they've been playing great thus far. Yeah, I really like what they're building. A lot of tough young guys, too. Um, at number nine, I have Isaac Okoro. Although I don't think he's been great offensively, defensively is where he landed on the list for me just because he's getting tested every night by 
maybe not the opposing team's best player, but if not, they're number two, and he's done a solid job defensively. And in a league where defense isn't valued that much, I've been really impressed with what he's been able to do defensively. He was the perfect addition for the Cavs, who with two offensive guards who weren't great defensively, now he comes in and gives them a defensive option. So I thought that that was a good pick for them. And then and maybe I, I got a little bit fooled by the highlight reels here, but I put Faquando Campazzo at number 10 for the Nuggets. And he doesn't have a crazy big body of work yet, but some of the things he's been able to do in his time on the court have really impressed me. He's made some passes that are Ricky Rubio-esque, and so I'm hoping he can get on the floor a little bit more and, and give a chance to prove himself. But, you know, the Nuggets, are, are they, they have their guard rotation set pretty much, so I don't know how much playing time he'll get the rest of the way, but I, I like what I see out of him, and I hope he can get a chance a little bit more down yeah, the road. I've been watching Composo. He does have some highlight reel assists, and I was thinking about putting him in on, putting him on this list. I was very close, but I ended up not doing it. He's fun to watch. Yeah, man. some of his passes are ridiculous. He's from Argentina. I think he was he was in a Europe European league before this, so he already has experience in the pros. It's something about those overseas guys. So that's our rookie rankings, our top ten rookies so far in the NBA. Now we are going to shift into our next topic and talk about a player who. Finally got the all-star nod. That player is Zach Levine. Zach Levine last season got snubbed from the all-star game. This season, he came back better, but I don't know how much better you can come back from a season where you're averaging 25 points per game and get get snubbed from the all-star game, but he did come back better. He's averaging 28.9 points per game, which is 29 basically, five rebounds, five assists, Five assists and his efficiency is off the charts. And he is the first bull to average this many points per game since Michael Jordan. He's a first-time All-Star. And since being named to the reserve team, he dropped 38 on the Kings, 21 against Houston, and 35 against Minnesota. Is Zach Levine finally getting the recognition that he deserves? Yeah, he's awesome. And He's been awesome for a couple of years now. I don't know if he's been awesome, but he's been really good for a couple of years now. And I think he's kind of gotten stuck in that narrative that you can't be a good player on a losing team. But he's been really good. And and the fact of the matter is the the Bulls have not put a winning product around him. And he's really grown over the past couple of years. He's a he's become a pretty good defender. He has incredible athleticism, and to me, what's been really impressive this year is his efficiency. He's upped his efficiency so much from last year, and although, like I said, it has not translated in the win column, I don't think that that should take away from what he's been doing. Because you know, when we talk about Bradley Beal, I think a lot of people overrate him because they have. I, I've heard people that have him in the top ten in the league right now. I'm not saying Zach Levine is that. But Zach Levine hasn't even been thought of at an all-star level the past couple of years, and I think he's more than deserving of the all-star nod. I agree. In the month of February, he's averaging 31 points per game, five rebounds, and five assists. Unlike Bradley Beal, and I don't want to throw too much shade, but the Chicago Bulls are winning, and I'll be fair, the Washington Wizards have been winning recently. They just went on a five-game win streak when um, before they lost to the Clippers the other night. But right now, Chicago is the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference. They are 15-16, one game below five hundred. 
in all fairness, if they were in the West, they wouldn't even be in the playoffs. <laughs> but because this is the East, they are in the playoffs. And I think it's just showing that Billy Donovan finally getting a good coach and Billy Donovan coming to Chicago has helped not only Zach Levine tremendously, but has helped out that entire team. We've seen the leap that Kobe White has taken this season. Patrick Williams looks like a solid rookie. Laurie was playing really well before he went down with an injury, and so was Wendell. But all in all, I think the Bulls finally have a good coach in Billy Donovan. Before this, it was Jim Boylan and who else? Uh, Frank Hoiberg, Fred Hoiberg. I think his name was Fred Hoiberg. They haven't had good coaching, and finally Zach Levine has some good coaching. And from a guy who was labeled as a dunker early on in his career, won a dunk contest, that's a label he had put on him, then then gets an injury, a torn ACL, gets traded to Chicago in that deal for Jimmy Butler, and has ascended into this type of player. I mean, all credit to him because he really built himself up from being known as one thing to now being known as one of the top scorers in the league. Yeah, and he's almost 50-40-90 right now. He, he's mm-hmm. at 86% from the free throw line. But other than that, he would be 50-40-90. And he's improved steadily every year. When you look at field goal percentage, he's improved. Three-point percentage, he's improved. Points per game, he's improved. Rebounding, he's slightly improved. Assist, he's improved. So, like, he continues to get better every year. And he's still only 25 years old. So, he's still got room to grow I've been really impressed, and I think that people don't understand the level that he's on because he's been on losing teams. But the fact of the matter is, you know, if you put him in a in a situation like Devin Booker's in right now with Chris Paul, I think he could be just as successful. Yeah, I think that's that's not a bad take to have because Zach Levine can do what Devin Booker does. Although I think it's hard between the two of them, they are similar players. Even though Zach Levine is 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 way more athletic. I just think, like, in terms of scoring on all three levels, Devin Booker is more skilled with the ball he can post up, which is a huge bonus to your game. For me, I mean, we've we've heard a lot of Zach Levine trade talks. Not now, but before the year, trading to the getting traded to the Mavericks or other teams that may pop up. But I think this season, because because Chicago is winning, all those trade talks are put to rest. I want to stop seeing Zach Levine mentioned in potential trade packages because the reality is they aren't trading him. He's going to be in Chicago for as long as they don't suck too much. He's going to be there, and I think all the trade talks have to stop. And something that you mentioned that I want to talk a little bit more in in depth about is Zach Levine versus Bradley Beal. Because we know Zach Levine is averaging 33 in Washington. Zach Levine's averaging 29 in, in Chicago. But that's not a huge gap. That's a four-point gap, and one team is winning the Bulls, and one team is losing the Wizards. Because of that, I mean, right now, who do you think is a better player, Zach Levine or Bradley Beal? I might give the slight edge to Bradley Beal. He's older. He's a bit more refined, as like you were talking about with Devin Booker, as an all-around scorer. I think when it comes to athleticism, you give Levine the edge. I don't think they're that different of players, and it's kind of what I was alluding to when I said if you put him in Devin Booker's shoes, he could be doing something similar. If you gave him the amount of shots that Bradley Beal was taking, I think he could be having a similar year that Bradley Beal was having, but that's not the most conducive thing for the Bulls right now. You know, I'm high on Zach Levine. I think he will be better in the long run than Bradley Beal, but right now I would give the slight edge to Beal. 
I can I can respect that. Personally, for me, I would take Zach Levine just because he has that athletic ability and because he is taller, he can defend at a at a better level. I think Bradley Beal's game is phenomenal. He's an elite offensive scorer, but so is Zach Levine. It's really hard to pick between the two. Instead of giving the edge to one guy, like I would rather take Levine, but in terms of where they are in terms in terms of players, I think they're about like at the same caliber and level. Like you really can't go wrong with either one. I would agree with that. I would definitely agree with that. And, and I was talking about it a couple of episodes ago when we were talking about Donovan Mitchell and how he's only scoring. I think it's like twenty four points a game. It might be up a little bit now, but you know people look at that and might wonder why he's not scoring as much. He's on a winning team where he's splitting the load with Mike Connolly, Jordan Clarkson, even Rudy Gobert chips in. They they have a really deep team where the scoring is spread, and I think that that level of shooting guards, there's a lot of similarity, and people look at it differently because of what a team's doing in the win and loss column. I think a lot of those guys are more similar than we like to think just because of the results that their teams end up having. DeMarcus Cousins recently got waived by the Houston Rockets. Before he got waived, the Houston Rockets did guarantee his contract, so that was a good deed. Um, for their sake and for both sides, it was it was good that they did that. And right now, what team could he really go to? The Lakers have reported that they don't really want DeMarcus Cousins. The Nets, I don't think bring in Cousins because he doesn't help out what they need the most. And on James Harden's way out, he kind of did this James Harden. And before getting fully in-depth into this topic, I will say this. DeMarcus Cousins called out James Harden for not giving the team a chance. And then the team is not giving you a chance and waving you. And one guy was there for eight seasons and broke his back for the city of Houston and is still doing good deeds for Houston, while the other guy in Cousins just got there and wanted to act like he was a leader of the team or something. That's why when it first happened, you got to relax. James Harden has a right to one out because he's done everything possible and they have still come short. And now, two months later, DeMarcus Cousins is waived. But regardless, he was cleared off waivers and there was a report that he was unhappy playing behind Christian Wood and Cousins um, reiterate, Cousins um, clapped back and said that that report is a lie. The Heat um, have been reported to have interest in DeMarcus Cousins the Celtics as well. This season, he he's averaging nine points and eight rebounds, basically shooting 37% from the field and 33% from the three. Me personally, I don't think DeMarcus Cousins could help a contending team. He could go to Boston and it could help out their bench depth, but do I look at DeMarcus Cousins as some guy that's going to Wow, that was a great move for that team to make. No, I think he's passed out already. Not only do I think he, he's not going to reach his all-star level play that he once had, I don't think he'll reach that again. But right now, I'm not even certain if he can become a reliable every night six man for a team because his pick-and-roll defense is so bad. Like, he's never been a good defender. Even when he was putting up 25-12 and 12 in Sacramento, he was never a good defender. Where is he going to go now? You know? Yeah, you said a lot of what I wanted to hit on. This might sound a bit harsh, but I don't know that 
there's any contending team in the league that DeMarcus Cousins can be a, a really like even a 15 minute per game per, per, per game guy. Like I don't know if he can give that to any contending team and help out that much. And it sucks because he's just had misfortune. He went from being the best center in the league, I think by a pretty good margin a couple of years ago. And now, just because of injuries, his career has been derailed. But you said it. He was not a great defender in Sacramento. So now, but but you could deal with that because he was putting up 25 and 12. He was a great offensive player. He could rebound. You know, he, he really did it all for you offensively. And he could carry the load offensively. But now, he can't do that anymore. So he, he's not only is he not as good offensively, he's not as good of an athlete. He's slowed down because of the injuries. He still can't defend. So I don't know what he's really providing. What's his specialty? Because that's what he would essentially have to be now as a specialty guy off the bench, a role player. But what role does he play? You said the Nets, and the Nets are probably more in need of a big man than anybody in the league at this point in the season. And I don't want him as a Net fan because he doesn't do anything that the Nets need. He doesn't rebound great. He doesn't defend the pick and roll well. So I don't see where he fits in the current NBA. And it's really sad to have to say that because... Just three years ago, he was an elite player. He's had some bad luck, uh, not only with the injuries, but also when he went to Golden State, he, he basically signed with Golden State to ring chase, and they didn't even end up winning the championship that year because injuries derailed that run, and Toronto ended up beating them. Hopefully, DeMarcus Cousins figures, figures it out, but I just don't see any team that he can help that can contend right now the, the thing is, when you're a veteran like that, it's hard to pick what team um, he can potentially go to because the winning teams, they're looking for specialty guys to fill certain roles. And DeMarcus Cousins doesn't check off that box for a lot of teams. For the younger teams or teams that suck, they don't want him because it doesn't it doesn't go it's it doesn't go in cahoots with the timeline that they're in right now. They're trying to get younger. You, you look at Cleveland. They're not even playing Andre Drummond because they want Jared Allen to play. They're not even playing JaVale McGee. So he doesn't match bad teams' timeline. Yeah. The only teams I could see him going to are Miami because they need a spark somewhat, but even now they're figuring it out. And Boston, because they have no bench whatsoever. But when you have guys like Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tice, who would DeMarcus Cousins play over? You know, because Tristan Thompson brings defense and rebounding, and Tice brings somebody who's a stretch big. So it would be really hard to play Cousins more than him. I don't know. I think right now the best fit would be, or the best place for him to go would be Boston. But there aren't any there there aren't many teams that he can go to that I say oh that that's a good fit. Yeah, and one of the things you hit on was even going to a bad team. He doesn't really fit well. He's never been high-character guy. He's never been a great locker room guy. So, you know, he can't be one of those guys who now transforms his career into being that veteran that hops from locker room to locker room, helping teams out. Like, I mean, the first guy that comes to mind is Jared Dudley. That guy could be on an NBA bench until he's 50 years old because he's just a great veteran presence to have around, whether it's breaking down film, you know, helping out younger guys develop, whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. I don't think DeMarcus Cousins can be that. So now it's like his play isn't there, and he's not going to be a great locker room guy. Where does he fit? He doesn't fit with a winning team that needs one more piece. He doesn't fit with a, a losing team that's trying to get younger and develop young talent. So he's just at a crossroads where 
be it because of injuries or, or whatnot, he doesn't fit anywhere in the current league, and, and it's unfortunate. And you mentioned it. He doesn't, well, to this point, his reputation has not been a good locker room presence. It's been a guy who does receive texts, and if anything, on that side of the game, in terms of locker room presence, he's more of a detriment than an addition. And just thinking about it now, he went to Golden State to ring chase. They don't win a ring. He went to L.A. He got cut, and they won a ring. So he went to two teams back-to-back that had a chance to make to win a championship. Lakers won, but he wasn't on the team. I mean, he's had some bad luck. Hopefully he does figure it out, but we'll see what happens. Wednesday night, the Utah Jazz faced the Los Angeles Lakers on primetime TV. It was an ESPN game. I think everybody's been waiting for this. I mean, the Utah Jazz have had a tough seven to nine game stretch. They have faced a lot of really good teams. And this was the stretch that we've been looking forward to, to see, okay, we know the jazz are good, but how good? Well, they beat the Lakers 114 to 89, six jazz players scored in double figures, Gobert, McDonavich, Mitchell, Conley, Clarkson, and favors. They hit 22 out of 48 threes. They became the first team ever to shoot 50-plus threes in a two-game span to make 50-plus threes. And Anthony Davis did not play. And that's the excuse that a lot of people are using until you mention that Donovan Mitchell didn't have a good game. Donovan Mitchell wasn't Donovan Mitchell. He had a bad shooting night. And LeBron only had 19 points, but now the Jazz are 26-6. and They have won 22 of the last 24 games. And during this stretch... They have been Indiana, Boston, Milwaukee, Miami, Philadelphia, the Clippers, Charlotte, and the Lakers, and they have beaten all these teams on an average of 16.7 points on for, per each game. So the Jazz right now look really dominant. I mean, they are dominating teams. Yeah, I mean, they, they've been the best team in the Western Conference. They've been the best team in the league so far this season. There's no question about that, but... I still stand pretty firm in my stance to come playoff time. Although what you've seen from the Lakers over the past week and a half or so has been concerning, it's nothing that I didn't expect out of them this season. Coming off a 71-day off season, although I thought it was going to affect LeBron more than anybody, LeBron has been the one guy that is taking care of his body to the point where this really hasn't affected him. You look at the rest of the roster, although he wasn't there, for the championships, we had a longer offseason. Dennis Schroeder has been out. Anthony Davis, I feel like, has really been affected by it. He's taken a big step back this year. I mean, he's still been Anthony Davis, but he has not been playing at the level he was even last season. So they got to figure things out. There's no question about it. But still, when you're talking playoff time, I'm looking at the Lakers and the Clippers over the Jazz personally just because in, in playoff moments, the biggest players step up, and I don't know if Donovan Mitchell is at that level yet for the Jazz. And if he's not, nobody on that team is. The Jazz aren't much of a first-half team. After watching them, they usually go on a big run in the third quarter. Games are usually close, and in the third quarter, they just take off. And this is a team that has taken full advantage and has embraced analytics. And they're shooting a lot of threes. A lot of their shots are threes. They play tremendous defense. They space out the floor. Gobert has been a pivotal part in getting guys open for the three. 
And I'll say this. When it comes to playoff time, there's two categories that, it, that they can be in, right? The category of they're the Milwaukee Bucks, which Milwaukee Bucks in 2019 and 2018 have been great, the number one seed, but they don't do well in the playoffs, mostly because Giannis can't shoot. Or they'll be placed in the category of the San Antonio Spurs playing complete great basketball as a team, ball movement, or kind of like the Golden State-esque offense with just moving the ball around. That's what it's going to come down to. Um, I'm excited to see them in the playoffs. If the Lakers aren't healthy, if Anthony Davis is not healthy, which is a gigantic possibility, Lakers can't beat the Jazz in a seven-game series. I agree with you. Like, even if I know LeBron is LeBron, but if Anthony Davis is not healthy, they cannot beat the Jazz in a seven-game series. The Clippers, I think it'll be a closer series than people think. I think that series can go to seven um, between the Clippers and the Jazz. Would I give the edge to Kawhi and Paul George? Yes, I'd give the edge to Ka- mostly Kawhi because I know what Kawhi does. Paul George usually does diminish in bigger moments. But for me, I really believe in Donovan Mitchell as a, as a guy who steps up in big moments. And even Bogdanovich, not too long ago, the Indiana Pacers took the Cleveland Cavaliers with LeBron James on it to seven games. And Bogdanovich not only was a guy who was giving the Cavaliers buckets, but he was guarding LeBron. I mean, LeBron still went off in that series, but Bogdanovich was playing really well in the playoffs. So they have guys who do play well. Jordan Clarkson is an efficiency monster. The thing about me is that we're not sure how long this efficiency can last because right now their efficiency is off the charts. Off the charts. I mean, right now they have the most wins by ten plus points in their first thirty-two games than any team in NBA history. Right now they have twenty-two games that they have won by ten plus points, and for me, it's just about matchups. It's all about matchups. And while I don't think I can give the edge to the Jazz and say they're the clear-cut team to make it to the finals based on how they're playing now I can't completely rule it out because when you do play sound defense elite defense and you shoot the three ball at such a high rate and you're extremely efficient at it it's really hard for teams to beat you we seen Houston in 2018 win a lot of games like that and they did have James Harden who's a superstar player but they did that mostly on NISO and pick and rolls Utah is really moving the ball. And I think if you have a sound offensive scheme like that and a bunch of talented players, you can win. Yeah, and as much as I sound like a hater when I talk about the Jazz, I am really intrigued to watch them in the playoffs. If they can succeed, I'll eat my words, and I will be happy to do so because I would I would love to see a team like the Jazz win without a common superstar in the league right now. I feel like that's so much what the league's become. To have somebody else winning would be a breath of fresh air until they met the Nets potentially in the championship, then I would be rooting for my Nets. But if there was ever a year for a team like the Jazz to step up, it would be this year. You know, you look at the Lakers, and you mentioned Anthony Davis's injury, although the Lakers have tried to downplay it, I think is more serious than we might think. If he can't get healthy by the playoff time, that's a totally different team. And LeBron would have to go back into his Cleveland days, and I don't know if he still has that in him just at the age he's at right now. And I don't know if the team around him is good enough to step up against the Jazz team. But 
without Anthony Davis healthy, that's a totally different story. And the Clippers are coming off one of the most historic collapses as a team in NBA history. So, you know, both the Lakers have to get healthy and the Clippers have just as much to prove in the playoffs as the Jazz do. So as much as I downplay the Jazz come playoff time, it's not outlandish to say they have a chance just because of the circumstances of this year and what's gone on. You know, if there was any year for them, I think this is the year that they could take take advantage of circumstances. Let me ask you something, Jack. When the Bucks won 60 games and Giannis was the MVP for the first time, what did you think about the Bucks going into the playoffs? That they were going to win the East? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That, but that, that was because that, of Giannis. I didn't I, I know that that's that's the point that I'm trying to make though is that right now I can't make a solid concrete answer. I want to see it first. Now, because of what I've seen from from Milwaukee, yeah. I don't think they're making the finals because I already know they're a regular season team and they're pretenders in the playoffs. Utah, this is their first year where they are this dominant in the regular season. So I want to see, and based off matchups and the efficiency they're at right now, it just is really hard for me to say that even if they do face the Lakers, I don't think it's a series that'll go to five. I think it's a real chance that it goes to six or even seven. I think these series are going to be dogfights. And somebody mentioned it in the comments right now, talking about Rudy Gobert and small ball. That's my worry too. Because Gobert in the playoffs, even though he's not horrible, he he his play does decline because when teams go five out, it takes him out the paint. It puts him in a lot of pick and roll actions. And that's not what the Jazz want. That's not where the Jazz want Rudy Gobert to be in. If they had a versatile five or a guy who can be versatile, like let's say the Jazz go out and trade for a P.J. Tucker, and now they got a guy who, although is 6'5", he can match up if you play small ball, then I think it would help them out a little bit. But based on the personnel, even if you take out Rudy Gobert, now you put in Derek Favorites, it's going to be hard. I've, I've been reading this book called Thinking Basketball by Ben Taylor. He has a YouTube channel that has over like 200,000 subscribers, I believe. He makes great content. Right, I'm, I'm on this chapter called um, Late Game Bias or something like that. It's, it's, it's called something like that along those lines. And in, the, and in the chapter, it talks about how we usually think that games are decided in the fourth quarter, but most games are decided in the first quarter and who has the lead advantage in the first quarter. Because in the first and third quarter are where you're playing your best lineups to begin the game and at the second half of the game. Usually the team that is leading after three quarters is a team that wins in the fourth. And that's what the Jazz have to do. I don't think they they necessarily have to have that quote-unquote closer. I think they just have to play the system they're playing in and play efficient basketball and have leads going into the fourth. And even if I think Donovan Mitchell is more than capable of being a closer. But... The personnel, like you mentioned, is a big concern because if you're talking about fully healthy, the Lakers have Anthony Davis as a small ball five, the Clippers have Serge Ibaka as a small ball five, and both of those guys are are pretty tough matchups for a guy like Rudy Gobert. Like you mentioned, you get him in the pick and roll, and that is not a good situation for the Jazz. And I, that is that to me is where I get concerned, is can Rudy Gobert be as effective in the playoffs as he's been 
in the regular season. I don't know if he can. And that that's your second best player on the team that you're going to have to be concerned of if he can even be effective in the playoffs. You know, it, it's, it's concerning. Yeah, we'll see what happens with the Jazz, but they are playing phenomenal right now, and I think we are all intrigued to see how they're going to fare in the playoffs. No going, question about that. Going on to the next topic, we're going to talk about the Dallas Mavericks and Kristaps Porzingis. So, as of recently, there have been reports that the Mavs have sniffed around about a potential Kristaps Porzingis trade, and they wanted to know what Porzingis's value was according to Jake L. Fisher. I think that's his name. If I mispronounced it, my fault. But Mark Cuban has responded to this report and has said the rumors are not true and it's completely false. So he has defended it. He has defended the organization and said, now we aren't shopping Christoph Porzingis. But would it be a smart move for the Dallas Mavericks to trade Christoph Porzingis in your opinion? Personally, at this point in time, I would say no, just because I think they would be selling really low on him. He's not having a terrible season if you look at the numbers, but he has been pretty bad since coming back from that injury, and I do think the injury had a lot to do with it. I would like to give him some time to see if he can get back to form. I mean, we've seen what Kristaps Porzingis can be when he was with the Knicks, and in his earlier days with the Mavericks, he was really solid. So if he can get back healthy, he's a solid running mate for Luka, and I think their play styles play play well with each other. You know, defensively, they're going to need some help around them if these are your two building blocks for the future. But you can figure that out if both of them are playing at their best level. Being that he's only 25 years old, injuries are a major concern. There's no question about that. But if you can get Christoph Porzingis to get back to what he was, then you have one of the best duos in the league moving forward for the next couple of years. And I think if you move on from him right now, like I said, you'd be selling low on a guy who can be a really big, big-time asset in the current NBA, the way he can stretch out and shoot the ball at 7-3. So right now, I wouldn't move on from him just because I don't think they would get his value back in a deal. And I don't think they're in any rush right now. I mean, who knows what Lucas' thought process is. You know, eventually his rookie deal is going to end, and you know he's going to have to judge if he thinks the Mavericks has done a good enough job surrounding him with talent. But I don't think that they're in any rush to be contending and you have a guy who's 25 years old in Christoph Porzingis, these two guys can grow together, and I think it would be a little bit short-sighted to move on from Kristaps right now. Are you inciting that Luka could potentially leave the Mavericks? I don't think he would, but I'm just saying I don't think... I'm saying I don't think he will. Especially, like, I don't think it's contingent on Kristaps. I think they've shown enough they're trying to build around him. I don't think this is a LeBron James situation where they're hanging him out to dry in his in his time here. So, you know, I think you have two really good young guys here. Give him some time. If Kristaps gets hurt again, then maybe it's a different story and you need to start to reconsider your plans. But I think you have a good building block here with these two guys. Two teams that have interest in trading for Kristaps that I've seen so far, because I know there are more than two teams, but from yeah. what I've seen have been the Washington Wizards and the Golden State Warriors. Of course, if there's a trade with the Wizards, they would probably want Bradley Beal in return, Porzingis for Beal. Uh, I guess it depends on who you ask. You know, you could like or not like that trade. But personally for me, I came up with my own trade. I did. I was on a trade machine playing around with it. Uh, Bertans right now cannot be traded. 
because I think you have to wait a little bit, but he will be available to be traded soon. I think it's like March. Yes, and the contracts do match, but this is my potential trade. Christos Porzingis to Washington for Rui Hachimura, Davis Bertans, and maybe Denny Avdia. You'd be getting a sharpshooter in Bertans, a guy who can slash in Rui, and Avdia, a really young player who can turn into something. If you could get Denny too, I don't hate that deal just because you get three really solid pieces, two of them being young pieces that can develop. I, I don't hate that deal. I would like that personally better than a deal that would include Bradley Beal just because I, I don't love the Bradley Beal-Luka fit. Or even it could be Rui Burton, Troy Brown Jr. in a first-round pick. I mean, Washington would have Westbrook, Beal, and Kristaps, which sounds really great on paper, but if Kristaps does get hurt and they have a top pick, that top pick would be going to Dallas, and in this loaded draft class, having a top pick can really turn your franchise around, and you're not committed to a bunch of money in Kristaps. You have a young guy in Rui and on Bertans, who is one of the better shooters in the league. I mean, I don't think they should do it, but I think it would, you know, that would be a good offer. But then you look at Golden State, the best offer for them is trading Wiggins and Minnesota's first-round pick, which is highly coveted since they are the worst team in the NBA. But I don't think I'd want Wiggins. Personally, I know he's been playing better, but I think he's playing better mostly because he's in Golden State. Yep. If he were to go to Dallas, I don't know how much he, you know, I don't know how good he'd be. But right now, the Mavericks are 15 and 15. They're ninth in the Western Conference. They have won six of their last seven, and Kristaps has only missed two of those games. So he's been a part of this win streak. And Kristaps, in the month of February, has been averaging 23 8, shooting 50% from the field and 42% from three. So he's been a big part of of why the Dallas Mavericks have started to win. And I don't think that it would be smart to trade him. The only reason why you trade Kristaps is because you're you're super concerned about his injuries. That's about it. But everything else, nah, I like Kristaps. I, I still think he can be a top player in this league. He just has to remain healthy, but that's the biggest concern with him. Yeah, I agree. I think that a lot of his struggles as of late, well, I mean, a lot of his struggles this season have come from coming off an injury. And you look at the best guys in the league coming off injuries struggle when they first get back. It's tough to come back from an injury. So I would definitely be on the side of giving him time rather than making a move, especially for, I mean, the pick would be great. The Timberwolves pick would be great, but I don't think the Wiggins would play as well in Dallas as he is in Golden State. I think that system is making him look much better than he is. So I would stick with Porzingis. I like these two together for years to come. Yeah, I like it too, not only because of that European connection, but I think Kristaps, he just has to stay healthy. And hopefully with time, he does remain healthy because when he is healthy, he's one of the better players in the league. And Kevin Durant even called him a unicorn, and that's exactly what he is. If he can get that mobility back, he can become one of the better defenders like he was in New York and we'll see what happens there. Shifting over to the football portion of this episode, we are going to be talking about the Tennessee Titans and their first-round pick, Isaiah Wilson, of the 2020 NFL Draft. He was taken with the 29th pick in the draft, and he tweeted a couple days ago that he's done with football as a Titan. He just played four snaps for Tennessee in total. One game he played four snaps, 
and three of them were when they were kneeling, so I don't even think they counted. We'll see one snap. He was caught partying maskless. He has a DUI arrest already. And personally for me, I mean, this is just a question, but was he a waste of a pick? Was he? Is he this early in his career? Is Isaiah Wilson already a bust? Well, I mean, at least for the Titans, I, w- I would have to say, yeah. I, he just tweeted he's done with football as a Titan, so I don't see him. He deleted the tweet, too. Yeah. I, I'm sure his agent got to him on that one, so I don't know what the deal is with that, but it's certainly not looking good. When they made the pick, it was thought to be more of a uh, a project than anything, and I, I don't think a lot of people expected him to go that high. So, you know, clearly that project has not worked to, the, to this point. He's got the body, he's got the size, and clearly the Titans saw something in him, some raw potential, but it reminds me of when the Jets took Ja'Kai Polite out of Florida. He had the potential to be a first-round pick on on the defensive line, and he ended up not even lasting a season with them. He's floated around the league and hasn't really had a chance to play anywhere because in the NFL, a lot of people underestimate the type of work ethic that it takes and the concentration and stick to that it takes to, to play at the NFL level. It's not just talent. If it was just talent, there would be a lot more guys in the NFL right now. And I just don't think that Isaiah Wilson is NFL ready right now. And it, it, it's tough for the Titans because they're a team that's competing right now. They need every player they can get. And a first round pick is tough to see go by the wayside. I, I, I think he's worth taking a shot on for a team that's in, in a rebuilding phase. But right now for the Titans, I don't know how much his value is because can you slot him in and play right now? I don't think so. The difference between those situations is that one, Mike McCagnan made that pick. He's, he's not good. He's one of the worst GMs in NFL history. And John Robinson, the Titans GM is actually a very good GM. The problem with this situation is that, the Titans have no choice. They cannot trade him. They cannot cut him. They could cut him, but they'd be it it actually be hurting them more than helping them because they'd lose a lot of money in dead cap. They actually they they save no money by cutting him. So it would make it a really tough decision to cut him. That's why I think he will remain a Titan. They will continue to work with him and see what he does. But coming out of the draft, you mentioned it. I didn't think he should have been drafted that high. At the time, I thought that this wasn't a good pick. Because you had guys on the board still like Robert Hunt, Ezra Cleveland, who in Minnesota played okay. Robert Hunt played okay in Miami. And this is a guy who didn't play so well. He was drafted in the third round by Arizona. But Josh Jones, out of college, I thought Josh Jones was really was a really good tackle. Like if it wasn't if it wasn't um for Wills or Thomas or Mackay or Wirfs, I thought Josh Jones was the next guy, the fifth best tackle in that draft class, I would have liked them to see to, I would have liked them to draft Josh Jones because I was really high on him. But I mean, like I mentioned, cutting him just isn't an option. And right now they just have to hope that he turns out to be an okay player. He's only 22 years old and he just turned 22. So but this past season he was 21 basically. So he is still really young, but to this point, it looks like he's wasting his opportunity with the Titans because this is not a situation where he's been put into a bad situation and he has to try to make it work. This is a situation in the in the Titans who are a playoff team, who have a good organization, who are trying to help you, and you are not trying to receive that help. 
John Robinson in his exit interview was basically saying, or I think it was just a regular interview, but he was saying that he has to decide whether he wants to commit to football. I mean, it's all on Isaiah Wilson, and hopefully for his sake and the Titans' sake, he can get on the same page as them because he has all the talent, even though I think he is still really raw and he should never been drafted that high. He still has all the tools, and based on how the Titans have developed their offensive lineman in the past, he has potential to be successful if he is willing to be coached. Yeah, and the unfortunate part about it is that a lot of times when people show you their character, it's a really tough thing to change, and that that's going to be the biggest thing because clearly he was a first-round talent to the Titans. I don't think he's lacking talent whatsoever, but it's just about getting him in the right headspace to be a part of, of a winning football program, which is what the Titans are right now. You said it. It's a great situation to be in for any rookie, and you know it, it's on him at this point. We, t- we kind of talked about it with Dwayne Haskins, and if he would get another shot in the league, he's gotten his shot, and now it's on him if he wants to be successful or not. You know, He's got the tools, and, and it's the same kind of situation here. It, it's on Wilson if he wants to be a successful player at this point. He's in the right situation in a winning organization, with a chance to come in and play in the next few years if he wants to, but it's it's just all about his mindset. And if he's willing to, you know, grow up, I I, he's, he, I know he's young. He's only twenty two, but in the NFL, you got to come in and be a grown man from day one. There, there's no time to slip up, especially on a playoff team in a situation like the world is in right now. You know, you can't be immature. You got to come in and be a grown man from day one, and he's got to decide if that's what he wants or not. Now, shifting away from this somber talk, we are going to talk about quarterbacks, which is one of my favorite subjects to talk about. We are going to talk about which quarterback that do we believe that is going to have a breakout season in 2021 and a young quarterback. This means under the age of 25. And this is taking away any quarterback who's already had a breakout season like Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen because they are 24, but they already had one. So the quarterbacks currently that have the chance to have a breakout year that are under 25 are Daniel Jones, Justin Herbert, Sam Darnold, if, you know, let's see what happens there, Drew Locke, Joe Burrow, Tua Tagovailoa, Kyler Murray, and Jalen Hurts. Out of these crop of guys, who do you think is most likely to have a breakout year in 2021? If we're counting Justin Herbert, I would definitely say Justin Herbert. I like the situation that the Chargers have put him in so far. I like the move to go out and get Brandon Staley. I think they're going to have a good offseason. Um, I would love to revisit this question in maybe a couple of weeks or, or two months just to see where all the chips fall because I think a guy like Sam Darnold or Drew Locke could be the answer depending on what type of situation they're in. I know the Broncos have been rumored to be looking at quarterbacks. Deshaun Watson was one of them. But I've even heard people saying they think the Broncos could draft a quarterback, which I think is crazy. I was pretty low on Drew Locke at the start of last year, but the guy hasn't even gotten a chance, really. He's only had one season as a starter in the league, and the Broncos were a mess this season with COVID and all the issues they had. So I would like to see Drew Locke with a chance. He's got some good weapons on that offense at receiver. So I think Drew Locke could be a good target if they give him a chance in Denver. I'm low on Drew Locke. I think he's not a starting quarterback in the NFL, Elisa. He's definitely not a franchise quarterback. 
my pick is between four QBs. Kyler Murray, because last season the, the Cardinals did not have a number two guy to go to. Yes, they had DeAndre Hopkins, but Christian Kirk is not a number two. Larry Fitzgerald is really old, and their tight ends are not really good, so he didn't have much of a chance to really break out. Uh, if they get a number two, I can see him breaking out. Tua, I think if the Dolphins draft Jamar Chase and get more tight end or wide receiver talent, just receiving talent in general around Tua, he can have a breakout year because he is efficient with the football. Joe Burrow, people are forgetting that he's going to come back. He is going to play in 2021. If Cincinnati builds around him correctly, he can build off that historic rookie season that he was on pace to have. Like He was about a shadow of the passing yards record for a rookie, but he got injured. And then Justin Herbert. For me, I think the safe pick is Justin Herbert. I think Justin Herbert is going to have a breakout 2021 season. He threw for 4,336 yards in his rookie year, 31 touchdowns and 10 interceptions. I mean, how much higher can you go from that? But I still think there is a next level to that. He threw 10 inter- interceptions, but only had 15 interceptable passes, which is the best interceptable pass rate in the NFL. That's according to QB Data Mind, who do a fabulous job over on Twitter. They really study a lot of quarterbacks. That's one interception every 40 attempts, which is super efficient. He has the most completions under pressure with 110. That's 16 more than second place, which was Josh Allen. And this is the most impressive of them all. His pass block win rate, the Chargers pass block win rate last season was 31st. Their run block win rate was 32nd. He threw 12 touchdowns that were 20 plus yards down the field. All other rookies combined for six. When we talk about what quarterbacks need to be successful, what's the first thing that we mention? Offensive line. So Justin Herbert was doing this with no offensive line, and I think this offseason for the Chargers is to get an offensive line around Justin Herbert. I want them to sign Corey Lindsey from Green Bay. I think he'd be a solid building block. At center, you start right there in the middle. He'd be a solid building block. And Justin Herbert, because you have Mike Williams, because you have Keenan Allen, because Austin Eckler, I'm counting on to be healthy. I think Hunter Henry will be back. That offensive line will be better. I think Justin Herbert will have a breakout season in 2021. The only guy who can stop Herbert from from having a breakout year is Joe Lombardi, their offensive coordinator, when he was the OC for Detroit, he only lasted a season. And then in the second season, he 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 coached a couple games and then got fired. Matthew Stafford had his third lowest QB rating of his Lions career with Lombardi. So that's counting his rookie year, which is like kind of like a scratch-off year. So if you scratch off his rookie year, it was really his second lowest QB rating of his Lions career. This is a guy who had 5,000 yards like a couple years before Lombardi getting there. Joe Lombardi didn't do well in Detroit. And who knows how much he's improved since then. He did go to New Orleans and he learned under Sean Payne a little bit, but he was in New Orleans before going to Detroit. So he was already learning under Sean Payton. Let's see how much better he's gotten. The Chargers did say they're going to build an offense around Herbert, but 
Do I trust Lombardi to build that offense around Herbert? I really don't, but let's see what happens. I mean, when he went to Detroit, I mean, Detroit had Calvin Johnson on that team. Detroit had, I believe, Golden Tate on that team and Stafford. These weren't scrubs, and he failed miserably there. Let's see what happens with the Chargers coaching Justin Herbert. Yeah, I think that Herbert is the obvious choice on the list, like you mentioned. He showed so much potential in his first season, and they weren't winning games because of the issues on the other side of the ball and on special teams. I hope that Brandon Staley can come in and be a head coach who can control the game a little bit more than Anthony Lynn did last season. Um, But, you know, I I was just looking for some under-the-radar targets. I think a guy like Daniel Jones can take a big step forward if he continues to cut down on the turnovers. I thought he did a pretty solid job of that as as the year went along this past season, but he's still got a, a lot of room to improve there. I think the Giants can help him out with another target this offseason in the draft. I think they're going to look to target one of those top wide receivers. And getting Saquon Barkley back will be a huge help for him, pairing along with that great defense that they had last season. I think that Daniel Jones could be another guy to look at. And my most outlandish, under-the-radar name that I just want to throw out there, and I don't know how realistic this is going to be depending on where everybody lands in free agency, Mitchell Trubisky. He had a pretty good second half of the year. I'd like to see him get a shot somewhere. Maybe I'm crazy. Maybe, you know, I'm giving him too much uh, too much of uh, an opportunity, but he was pretty good in the second half, and with the right system, I think he could be a solid, a solid starting QB. I just don't know where that is because with the openings, I don't know where he fits. Maybe the Patriots. Trubisky? Is I know you you were high on him and you sounds like you still are high. Uh, I was never high on him. I thought that he was just as good as Jared Goff, which I mean he's not. He's not. He's not. He's not as good as Jared Goff. Richard Trubisky is a bust. Let's be honest. He is not a good starting quarterback in the NFL. And if I'm the Patriots and I'm looking at, we're going to talk about this later on. If I'm looking at Mitchell Trubisky or Cam Newton, I'm going Cam Newton, especially. Do I trust Mitchell Trubisky to learn Josh McDaniel's offense in an offseason? I don't. I don't. I, I mean, I don't I, I don't know where the Patriots are at right now. Is it worth bringing back Cam Newton for another year? Do they, yes. I mean, like, what do they gain out of that? Are they going to compete with Cam Newton at quarterback? Yes, I think they are. I think <laughs> they are. Yeah, I think I they think are. I think you're crazy. I don't think I'm crazy. We'll talk about Cam Newton later on in the show. I think Cam Newton is not getting a fair shot. I mean, this guy... We'll talk about it later. I don't even think I, it has anything to do with that. I'll just get. I'll just give it a sneak peek, though. The Patriots had the most opt outs in the NFL. They finished seven and nine still. Cam Newton, even though he had eight passing touchdowns, he had twelve rushing touchdowns. So he had twenty touchdowns total to ten interceptions, and he didn't have a full offseason to learn the offense. And, and that offense is really complicated. All the all the play, all the names and the cadences they have to have to learn is really complicated. He didn't have an offseason. There are no real targets in New England, and he caught COVID. So he had to take two weeks off from football during the year, which is a huge detriment, and still they went 7-9. and nine. If they, they have a lot of cast space. If they can surround Cam with, a solid, with solid receiving threats, they can have a really good year. I don't see them as a playoff team next year. With the way the division is trending, I don't think the Bills are going to take a step back. I don't. I think the Dolphins are going to be Bills. better next year. They almost beat the Bills. 
It's not like the Bills blew out the Patriots. They didn't blow them I out. I think the Bills are going to be much better than the Patriots next season. Much better. You think so? Yes. Okay. We'll see. I, I'm not saying yes and no because I have to see the offseason moves. But of course. I but think Trubisky versus Cam, like I don't think it's close. Trubisky can only see one side of the field. He can only see the right side. I think it's the left or right. One of them. But he completely dismisses one half of the field. I think especially in that offense, nah. I think the Patriots should draft a quarterback personally. I think that they should start to move on and try and start over again. In 2014, the Lions had Golden Tate, Calvin Johnson, Jacques Bell, Theo Riddick, Reggie Bush, and Eric Ebron. And they had the 22nd ranked offense with Joe Lombardi. So the it's Joe Lombardi scares me. If it's not Justin Herbert, though, the quarterback I'm picking to have a breakout year is Kyler Murray. But if we want to talk about quarterbacks that would you you don't think that this past season was a breakout for Kyler? No, I don't. I think a breakout because I think he was certain parts were, but throughout the entirety of a season, it, he was it wasn't. But if we're talking about quarterbacks who aren't like who are, who, who we don't label as good, like Daniel Jones, Sam Darnold, Drew Locke, and I guess that's it. Maybe you want to label Jalen Hurts that, you know, because he hasn't played much. But even guys who are unproven, let's say that, and Tua and Joe Burrow to an extent, even though I think Joe Burrow has proven himself. Between the crop of Darnold, Jones, and Drew Locke, I'd pick Jones to have a breakout year over them. I would agree with that. And he's also got the most stable situation. Yeah, and Tua, Jalen Hurts, and Burrow, I think Tua, just because of Miami's situation. But we'll see with that because Brian Flores has – shown the tendency to handle quarterbacks the wrong way. I'm interested in seeing the Bengals, though. If they could get Sewell in the draft, the division's going to be really tough, but I like the weapons they have at receiver, and obviously it's going to take some time with Burrow getting back from injury. But I can't wait to talk about this Patriots topic. It's not, it's not next. The next topic is about Russell Wilson. A report came out today that there were two reports. One report talked about him potentially going to the Jets, and the Dolphins and the Raiders were mentioned in that list of teams. And then Adam Schefter reported, which is, we know it's, it's, it's law. It's gospel when he reports. He said that Russell Wilson would only consider getting traded to four teams. The Cowboys, the Bears, the Saints, and the Raiders were listed as potential destinations. So the backstory to this is that I think in a mid, around midseason, Russell Wilson wanted a say in the offense and he didn't get it and he stormed out of a meeting. I don't know how true that is, but that's what I heard. That's what I read. But let's just talk about these potential trade destinations. So the Cowboys, I mean, maybe, maybe they can trade for him. I mean, the Cowboys cap situation is really tricky. They would have to trade Dak Prescott. And even then, I don't think that the Cowboys have the cap for that. Uh, I don't, I guess, you know, it makes a little bit of sense. I, I would like to see Russell Wilson in Dallas, but I think that's more of a dream scenario than anything. The Saints don't have the cap. Yeah. I, it's not even possible for them to do that. The Bears, they can create the cap, but does Russell Wilson really want to go and get coached by Matt Nagy? Allen Robinson might leave. You might not even have a number one wide receiver. You don't have a good offensive line there. I mean, how much sense does it really make? The perfect situation for Russell Wilson is the Las Vegas Raiders. Just, just out of the teams that he mentioned as trade partners, 
They have a great offensive line. A great offensive line. They don't have a number one receiving threat, but they do have Darren Waller, who is a top tight end. Their offensive line is phenomenal, so Russell Wilson will be protected. Their defense sucks, so that's going to be something they have to address. But John Gruden, Russell Wilson, that play caller, QB, duo, really excites me. And I was just watching Gruden's QB camp with Russell Wilson earlier, and their chemistry jumps out at you. Like, you can tell Gruden loves Wilson. He's impressed by Wilson. Wilson shown shown, it looked like in the video, he really enjoyed his time with Gruden. I think it would be a really great duo. And Russell Wilson has that ability to win close games that Derek Carr has not shown the ability to have thus this far in his career. The Raiders last season were 7-9, and nine, I believe. That was their record. With Russell Wilson, I think that's easily 10 and 6. 10 and 6, 9 and 7 at least, because he pulls out a lot of miracles out of his, you know, bag of tricks. So I think that would be the best situation for me. But all in all, Seattle's a better situation than Las Vegas. It's a better situation than the Raiders, than the Saints, than the Cowboys, than the Bears. So I don't know why he'd want to get traded to go to one of those situations. And I don't know why the Seahawks would want to trade him. They shouldn't at all. Yeah, I don't think he gets traded. I think that this has been a majorly overblown thing just because he said he would be open to a trade to certain places. I don't think he's going anywhere. He carries a $39 million cap hit if they decide to trade him, so I don't see him going anywhere. That That's almost an impossibility to take on that large of a cap hit. And plus, you'd be losing a top five, at worst, a top five quarterback in the league. I don't think anybody would put Russell Wilson outside of the top five. And if they did, I, I would call him crazy. Um, I don't hate the Bears fit if they could bring back Allen Robinson. I like that defense in Chicago. But if they lose Allen Robinson, the offense is kind of barren. And, and you'd just be kind of hanging Russell Wilson out to dry. If they could bring back Allen Robinson, though, it would be an interesting fit. Um but I, I don't see him going anywhere, like you said, that's better than Seattle. You made a good point with the Raiders. The Raiders have been kind of a team that have been right there on the edge of being a playoff team, and then when it comes down to having to make that run to make the playoffs, they've sputtered out the past two or three seasons, and Russell Wilson could be the guy to put them over the top, but they would need to make a couple of other moves coinciding with that this offseason to really have a shot, especially in that division, I think is going to be really tough this year. But I don't, in the end, I don't see him moving at all. I'll also say this. If Seattle were to trade Russell Wilson, the best place to trade him to would be the Raiders because you can get back Derek Carr. If you get back Derek Carr, I mean, one, you're getting a guy who's a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. I think Derek Carr is a top 10 quarterback in the NFL. And, Derek Hall would be placed into a situation where he has DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett. He never had that caliber, those caliber of receivers in Las Vegas. And we know Russ Wilson is better than um, Derek Carr. But Seattle is still a playoff team, in my opinion, with Derek Carr. I think they're still a playoff team. I think he would lead them to the playoffs still. And... I would like that. I mean, you could you could trade Carr and a bunch of picks for Russell Wilson. And Seattle would not only get those picks, but they'd get a really good quarterback, a great quarterback in my opinion. It can put them in a great position. I think 
all in all, Seattle would be in a, in a better position than, than Las Vegas because Russell Wilson, if he were to get traded to Las Vegas, one, the Raiders do not have any cap space. They have to cut players to make cap. That's why they cut Tyra Williams. Russell Wilson making a lot of money. Oh, Raiders right now don't have a number one receiver. They're hoping Henry Ruggs pans out. They can't sign one because they have no cap. They don't have a good defense. They they have they need an edge rusher badly. They need some linebacker depth. They need a safety. They need some corners. You know, like where's this how how where's this ceiling for the Raiders if they were to get Russell Wilson? And you're in the division with Patrick Mahomes and Justin Herbert, and we'll see what Denver does. Right now, I think Russell Wilson is in a way better situation than Seattle. And even though the Raiders thing does sound good on paper, if I were Russell Wilson, I wouldn't want to go there. But like I said earlier, Wilson is a top five quarterback, top three, depending on who you ask. He has been an MVP candidate for the past three seasons, a career 101.7 quarterback rating last season through 40 touchdowns, 13 picks, over 4,000 yards and 105 quarterback rating. It would be foolish to trade Russell Wilson, but we are seeing that shift in the NFL where players are starting to understand the leverage they have, how much of an influence they have, and they are making demands. And, you know, I think they should be able to make those demands. The team should should be able to listen to you as a player and fulfill your wishes. And Russell Wilson doesn't want to get hit. Yeah, and I don't think that's too crazy of a thing to ask. You know, I I don't think it's like he's going in there asking him to totally radicalize the offense or anything like that. Just add to the offensive line. Is that really too much to ask for, for your your all-world quarterback, like to, to just protect him a little bit? He's been the most hit quarterback in the league over the past couple of years. Like, is that really that big of a deal that he's asking for that, that you're going to trade him? I think that's crazy to me. Yeah, we'll see what happens I, you know, if I were to, you know, make a guess, I don't think they do trade Russell Wilson, but you never know what can happen. A blockbuster I, deal can happen. I would say it's something to monitor going into next year's offseason. That and the Aaron Rodgers thing that was rumbling around earlier this offseason. I think those are two things that going into next offseason, depending on how this season goes, could be more, much more interesting than they are this offseason. Correct me if I'm wrong, but Adam Schefter did say that Wilson is more likely to get traded than Watson. Really? Yes. I did not see that. He, I, I don't know if it was him or not. It might have been him or Ian Rappaport. It was one of those guys, but I read it somewhere. So he's more likely to get traded than Watson. And everybody thinks Watson is getting traded, so we'll see what happens. Before we go on to the next segment, I want to address something because two seconds before this, we talked about breakout quarterbacks, and I mentioned Tua. I am not flip-flopping <laughs> with my Tua pick. I don't. Anybody that's listened to the show, if you guys probably do remember that I said Tua <laughs> is not going to be a great, he's not going to be the Dolphins franchise QB. That's exactly what I said, and I stand by that. I never said Tua was a bust. Not even once, not once did I say Tua was a bust. I said Tua is going to be a good quarterback, but the Dolphins will always regret not drafting Justin Herbert, which is it's leaning towards that. And I said he won't be a superstar quarterback. I don't think Tua will be that. Can non-superstar quarterbacks have in, have a breakout year? Yes, they absolutely can. Who had a breakout year in the second year of the league, Jack? It's somebody that you don't like, that you're not high on. 
are you talking about Jared Goff? Jared Goff. Jared Goff had a breakout year his second year in the league. A breakout year. You can have a breakout year and not be considered a superstar player, superstar quarterback, or a great quarterback. It happens all the time. So just because I'm picking Tua to have a breakout season does not mean that I think he's going to be some franchise guy. He's going to be a good quarterback, but I I will remain firm in what I say in that the Dolphins will always regret not taking Justin Herbert and that he's not going to be the quarterback that they long for. That's just the honest truth. And that that's my that's my uh response to that and for people listening. So this next topic is about Cam Newton. We talked a little bit about that in the uh who will break out out of amongst the quarterbacks. The question is, will Cam Newton get another shot to start in the NFL? And I'll start with you. I think Jack. he I think he definitely should. I think his struggles in New England were majorly overblown because the numbers didn't jump off the paper, but the offense was just not a good situation. The weapons weren't there. You know, the defense had a lot of opt-outs, so it wasn't a good situation in general. And he still showed flashes, you know, although he his numbers might not show how good he was. I don't think he was as bad as people think he was. And, you know, a lot determine, a, a lot depends on the situation. Like, the reason I was saying that about the Patriots and not bringing him back is because I think the Patriots should start to move in a different direction and start to maybe... I don't know if I would say rebuild as much as I would say retool. And I think a younger quarterback would be a better fit there because I don't see, I don't know how much longer Cam Newton can be as effective as he is right now because of his play style. But I think that he could be a good option for a team that's still looking for a quarterback. And there's a bunch out there. I don't know what the best fit is. Maybe a team like the bears, they they were rumored with him last season, but you know, I, I don't think it would be the, I think it will be a good decision for the Patriots if they are committed to contending this season because I, I think he, his struggles last season were overblown. Cam Newton 100% deserves another shot to start. And not only does he deserve a shot to start somewhere, but he deserves to be back with the Patriots in 2021. And the Patriots should bring him back, and I think that they will. I was watching Cam Newton's interview uh, with uh, Chad Ochocinco, Brandon Marshall, and Fred Taylor. It's their podcast called I Am Athlete. It's actually a really great podcast. I was watching uh, the Cam Newton episode. It was a really good episode. One thing is for certain. I know where Cam Newton is from. Do you know where he's from? Not 100% He's sure. from Atlanta, Georgia. He was saying that the entire podcast. He said it about eight times. He's from Atlanta, Georgia. He knows what adversity is. His stats in 2020, on the surface, they look not they don't look great. 2,657 yards, eight touchdowns, 10 interceptions, and a 66 completion percentage. But if you were to account for his rushing touchdowns and his rushing yards, he had over 3,000 yards, 20 touchdowns, and 10 interceptions, and he went 7-8 and eight as a starter. 7-8 and eight with the most opt-outs in the NFL – with little to no offensive weapons, with no real running back threat, and when you, with your best receiver being Jacoby Myers, Demir Bird, and James White. The Patriots had no offseason. Every team had no offseason. Cam Newton was signed late by the Patriots, so he had to learn an extensive playbook in a short amount of time. He signed late. He got COVID, which me- messed up the momentum of the team, and 
like I mentioned, they have minimal offensive weapons. Devin Asiasi and Dalton, Dalton Keene, both tight ends that the Patriots drafted in 2020, were not good. Nikhil Harry has not lived up to his first-round expectations thus far. And what impressed me the most about Cam Newton last season was his accuracy. He was he wasn't he wasn't as inaccurate as people like to make it sound. In that offense, in the short passing scheme, he is insanely accurate. He's a really accurate short passing quarterback. That's his forte. And in the interview in the podcast, the I Am Athlete podcast with Chad, Brandon, and Fred, they all took shots at the Patriots players. Like they talked about how they didn't have any weapons, they didn't have any real dog on the team. And you want to know what Cam Newton said the entire time? They're young. Nah. He he always he sounded very encouraging. He never once threw his teammates under the bus. He didn't throw the team under the bus. What he said, he put it on himself. He he instead of saying that, oh yeah, the weapons weren't good, he said they're young. If we had a better offseason, we would have been way better. The offseason is what's what is what held us back, not the weapons. Instead of putting the blame, instead he sounded very encouraging and uplifting. And that's the making of a leader. Because of that, I think the Patriots should bring him back because the Patriots last season, it's funny how times changed, Jack. Last season, what was the team? You were on the episode. What was the team that we both picked to make the playoffs over the Bills? In the September? Patriots. Yes, hey, the Patriots. Come on. Oh, oh, yes, we picked the Patriots. And after one year when they're not even bad, they're an average team because of so many opt-outs, because of no offensive weapons. Now you're bailing on them? Nah. Because the Bills and Dolphins both dramatically improved. I am not bailing on the Patriots yet. I think Bill Belichick is still an amazing coach. They have a ton of cap space, which means that they are going to sign good players in the offseason. There's still a draft. I'm almost certain they are going to bring in wide receiver talent. They're going to bring in talent. And the Patriots, I'm not so certain yet, but they're – there's a good chance they can win the division next season. There is. I'm calling wow. it right now. I, I'm not. Crazy. I'm not. I'm not giving up on Bill Belichick and the Patriots just yet. And if Cam Newton is back, they have a chance. They have a chance if Cam is back. I don't know. I, I, listen, I like what you're saying about Cam. He's been a leader his whole career, and there's no questioning that. And the accuracy was great last year. I believe it was the second most accurate passing season of his career. And he was more accurate last season than Tom Brady was in his final season in New England. So, you know, I think he's a good fit for the system, but I just think that we have them going in different directions. I don't think they can compete for the division next year. He, Cam Newton's 31 years old, and he's not the prototypical, you know, pocket quarterback that can last as long as a guy like Tom Brady. So I just don't know. He can do it. Especially with the injury issues that he's had over the past couple of years, I'm just not sure how much longer they can get out of him. So I, I, I don't know. In a quarterback draft like this, I would consider trading up for one of those top guys where you have a chance to get him. Injuries for Cam are overblown. What injury did he have? He's had shoulder problems his whole career. It was only once. He, the shoulder issues have bothered him for a couple of years now. And he got surgery on it. Yeah, and that's a big thing to come back from as a quarterback. Do you know if it was his throwing shoulder or not? I don't think it was. Okay, so if it's not a throwing shoulder, it's not that big of a deal. And there have been a lot of quarterbacks that come back from the shoulders. And as I think 
I, your leg and your base are what make you a good, accurate thrower. If As long as that's fine, I'm okay. I think the shoulder thing is kind of overblown. Cam Newton in that system is insanely accurate. He's already shown it. I Especially in a league where 31 is not old. In the NBA, we are saying you're out of the league already. But in, in the NFL at quarterback, 31, you still He's got... not a prototypical quarterback, though, the way he I plays. think he can be that. I think he can be that. I think that he can play more inside the pocket. And even even if he's not the prototypical prototypical quarterback, he's not the prototypical athlete. He's 6'5". He's built like a tank. If there's somebody who could take a pounding, it's Cam Newton. He's not built like Lamar Jackson who was on the skinny side. Cam Newton can take hits. Because of that, I think that... They add up, though, man. They add up. I think you're underestimating. If he can change his play style, it's a different different story. And I think he has the ability to do that. He's shown it with North Turner already. will he do that? I don't know that he will. I mean, we saw the way he played last year. He was still running with with reckless abandon. And that's awesome. It's a lot of designs. I I don't know. I don't like the amount of hits The QB powers that... That he got touchdowns on were designs. I, I don't like the amount of hits that he takes, the way he plays with the injury that he had to his shoulder. It, it concerns me. Do you think he's a long-term option for the Patriots at quarterback? I question What's a long-term option for you? How many years are we talking? I mean, are you going to sign him to a multi-year deal this offseason? How, 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 long, how, how long are you looking I at I think Cam he'll be another one-year guy, but this is the thing. He will be a one-year guy again for New England. If he has a great year this season, they will sign him to a multi-year deal. There, there's no way that he has a breakout year and they don't sign him for longer. If you're talking about 10 years, then no, no he's not. not. But if you're talking for the next three, four seasons, yes, I think he can play at a good, at a high level for three to four more years. You, you talked about running with reckless abandon and shoulder problems. Aren't you the same guy that wants to draft Zach Wilson? Zach Wilson, he's not even in the league yet. No, I know, but Zach Wilson runs with reckless abandon. He takes a lot of hits. As you've seen him in college, you've seen his tape. He's had shoulder injury already, and he's a young guy. So I'm just saying, you're so down on Cam for the same things that you want You Cam want the Newton's, Jets quarterback Cam, to draft. Cam Newton's 31 years old. It's a different story. He's at a different stage of his career. No, right I know now. Cam is 31, but I think he can take that type of a pounding when he runs. But for how long can he do that? It, the hits add up. Like I said, three to four seasons, he could do it. He could do it. May, and that's my question. Do you want a holdover option for three to four seasons that will potentially decline towards the end of that in a division where you're going to have to compete with the Bills for the next probably three or four years, or do you start to look towards options for the future? That's my question for the Patriots. In my, in, in my mind... I'm thinking, and I think in the Patriots' mind as well, they are thinking about how they can win football games now. You don't think about six years down the line. You think about how can you win football games now. Tom Brady wasn't a long-term option when they drafted him. He was a six-round pick. Drew Bledsoe was on the older side when they signed him to a multi-year deal. But what happened? We know what happened. So what's your point? You think they're going to no, fall I'm into just saying. I'm Tom saying Brady? the Patriots and Bill Belichick has always been a guy that we are trying to win now. When Tom Brady was 40, they didn't move on from Tom Brady. They traded Jimmy, who at the time was a better long-term option, but just stuck with Tom because they are thinking about winning now. those situations. No, no, I'm not saying I can't compare it. I'm just saying that age for them is not that big of a deal because they are trying to win now. 
if Cam gives you a better opportunity to win than Mac Jones or than any other rookie that you're getting in the draft, you take Cam and you try to win with him now. That's what I'm saying. I would personally be more partial to trying to move up into the draft. If you could get a guy like Trey Lance, I would do that in a heartbeat. Or Kellen Mond later in the draft? No. Okay. You were so high on Kellen Mond just a couple of No, I'm not high. I, I, I've said it about Kellen Mond. I'd rather take Kellen Mond in the fourth round than Mac Jones in the first. I think Mac Jones in the first round is going to be a major bust. And it would be so a waste if, of a first So round if pick. you're in the first round and you're the Patriots with the 15th overall pick, I'm not taking Mac Jones. You wouldn't take Mac Jones? You wouldn't even uh, think about it? If there was any team in the league that I think Mac Jones could work for, I would say it was the Patriots, but I don't see Mac Jones having much success at the NFL level. You know, I haven't watched enough film, but from what I've seen, I think that you're underestimating Mac Jones' ability. He had a great college career throwing to four of the best receivers in college football that was Tua. over the past two years. That was Tua. Yeah, and, and Tua came out and struggled in his first year, so... No, he didn't but struggle. It, he had his moments, but he didn't severely struggle. But he looked a lot better in college throwing to four of the best receivers. Every quarterback in football looks better in college for the most part. If we're being honest, Sam Donald looked better it, in college. It, uh, so are you arguing with me that both of these guys have not been inflated because they've been throwing? No, to I'm, the telling best you, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You're underrating Mac Jones' accuracy. And his ability to read defense. Well, it's not about his accuracy and ability. He, I, I just, think the I think the only knock on Mac Jones is his athletic ability. Yeah, he has no mobility. Yeah, that's about it. But I think in terms of reading defenses and in the right offense in an RPO type system, he can have success. What quarterbacks drafted in the last decade that aren't mobile have been successful? I can name you quarterbacks that are successful that aren't mobile right now. That have been drafted in the last decade. Jimmy G is 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 not mobile. He's successful. You want to draft Jimmy Kirk G. Cousins. I personally don't think that that's a big win at the 15th overall pick. Jimmy G is a starter. Yeah, uh, he's a starter. If you want, what do you mean? He's nothing special. He's about You don't have to average. draft a superstar quarterback to have a have success at the pick. But if you can trade up and get a guy Kirk like Kirk Cousins is mobile. I would rather trade up and get Trey Lance. What makes you think Trey Lance Mac is going to be a superstar? Because his athletic ability. You're just tools. going off projections. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, isn't that what any college player no, but you're going off, draft is? Yes, but you're going off projections. You're not, so you're just. No, I'm going off of ability. No, you're going off projections as well. Because ability, Mac Jones has shown ability in college. So if you were going off ability, you would look at Mac Jones he and say. He has shown no mobility whatsoever. No, Trey you said, a, you said ability. Mobile. Yes, yes. You ability, said ability. ability. Mo- now you're saying mobility mo- is an ability. But you're, what, ta- what, what does it take for a guy to be successful at the quarterback position? It takes a bunch of different things. But, but so, so you just singled but, out mobility. But mobility has become a major key for NFL quarterbacks. Like I said, in the last decade, name me a quarterback that's been drafted Kirk and Cousins. not mobile that has been successful. Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is one example, and even he I, n- I mentioned Jimmy G. Jimmy G. Jared Goff wasn't successful? I don't think that he's been a success at quarterback. Yeah, okay. He's he's an average quarterback. Is he anything better than an average quarterback? He's been successful though. That's that's what you use the key he word went to successful. a Super Bowl because he was surrounded with the best defense. In he's football, been successful, the best running back in football, and that season one of the best head coaches in football. So Matthew Stafford. I mean, Matthew Stafford was drafted more than a decade ago. No, I mean I guess you can use it, but we're talking about quarterbacks now that are successful in this modern NFL. I'm telling you that the league is shifting right now, and. and I don't think it's yeah, a wise I know the league is shifting. Quarterback I know no the league I know the league is shifting, but you asked me to name one quarterback. I did name you one quarterback. Yeah, Kirk Cousins. 
Yes. And yeah. I named I named you another guy in Jimmy G. I named another who guy in an Jared Goff. Quarterback who is another average quarterback, but still successful. You you mentioned you said successful. Those are I never said they're superstar quarterbacks. I, no, 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 I meant successful as a quarterback, not as played on successful teams. Jared Goff wasn't a successful quarterback. He had a good season because he was in a great system with the best running back in football. So he, hold up. So Jared Goff only had one good season. I think he had one outlier season with the best running back in football and the best head coach and scheme in football that year. What about Jimmy Garoppolo? I don't think that Jimmy Garoppolo is anything special. I think he's an average quarterback. I can't believe you said that Jared Goff only had one season, one like outlier season. He had he had one season that you th- thought was his potential at the number Derek one. Derek Carr is no. immobile. Derek Carr is more mobile than Mac Jones. But he's not mobile. He's not a guy we consider mobile. He's had success. Okay, Baker is I'll not give, Baker is that. not mobile. Baker Baker's more mobile than he's made. Oh, out yeah, but be. he's not mobile though. He can get out of the pocket and make plays. Will they ever run will they ever run a read option with Baker? No, and I'm not talking about guys that can run a read option. But he's not mobile. That's what you just said. A quarterback's not mobile. Ooh, Baker Baker Mayfield can be a mobile quarterback. Is he mobile? Yes or no? Yes. He's not mobile, bro. Okay. You you're saying you're literally telling me that Baker Mayfield's mobile to my face. He's an athlete. Mac Jones is not an athlete. Mac Jones cannot move the way Baker Mayfield can. Well, no, he can't. I know. But Baker is not a guy that runs. So he's had success being I, a pocket quarterback. I mean, quarterback. you're just trying to overanalyze the things I'm saying. Mac Jones is not a personally, he's not a good enough athlete for me at the quarterback position. And, and that scares me. Bro, I'm not overanalyzing what you're saying. You asked me to, to name a quarterback that's been successful that's not mobile. And I named you about three to four. So I'm just saying. I mean, you're picking and choosing what you think mobile is. Because, what do you mean? Because Kirk because Cousins is not mobile. I mentioned you one. Because, Jimmy is not mobile. Okay, I gave you Kirk Cousins. There you go. That's one quarterback. I think what's in a more. I think. I think. Successful. I think what's more important than mobility is pocket presence. And I think Mac Jones does have a solid pocket presence. I'm not saying Mac Jones is going to be anything anything special, but I'm saying you think he's going to be a bust, and that's a bull take. I don't think he's going to be a good NFL quarterback. I think his ceiling is average. Okay. Even an average is good NFL quarterback, though. Like, I think, you know, who do you want to name? We can name some quarterbacks like Jacoby Brissett. He's an okay NFL quarterback. He's yeah, not. A, but, I mean, or do you, that's what you want out of your 15th overall pick is, you know, if I can tell you that you're going to get Mac Jones to be Jacoby Brissett over the course of his career, you're going to be happy so right to now, if you were Chicago, 15th overall pick. Right now, if you were Chicago, you were the Bears, would you re-sign Mitchell Trubisky or draft Mac Jones in the first round? That's that's tough. I I mean I'd probably go with Mac Jones just for the rookie contract, if nothing else, gives you a bigger just off to what they can do. Off what they can do, I'd probably go Mac Jones. Okay, I just want to know. Okay, I just I just want to see I just want to see you flip flop there. But okay, no, I mean what what am I going to say? Mitch Trubisky obviously is not showing that much at the NFL level. I'd rather take the guy. That is a wild card than the guy that hasn't proven anything. No, but I'm just saying, you know, I think for you to be hypercritical of Mac Jones when I don't think that you've really studied his game, because based on what you're saying, okay, I'm just, am I being honest? No. Yes, you're you're guessing. No, I'm not guessing. Have you studied Mac Jones' game? I've watched a good amount of Mac Jones' games in college. I mean, you can assume whatever you want to assume, but I'm just saying because if you did it, then you you wouldn't say that about Mac Jones. Like, I'm not, I, I don't okay. think Mac Jones is okay, a superstar, but you call him a boss. Okay, move on. 
Okay. I never said he was a bust. You said he'd be a first-round bust. I said for the pick, yes, I think he will be a bust for the pick. At the 15th That's a overall bust. pick, I think That's a he bust. will be a bust. That's a bust. That's a first-round bust. If you're a bust, you're a bust. Being a first-round bust and being a bust, I think, are two different things. But he's projected to be a first-rounder, so that's where he's going to get picked most likely. I don't think he will live up to a first-round value. So he will be a bust. I think he could be an average quarterback. But you ju- you just said he was going to be a first-round bust. Yes, he will not reach the value that people... If you think he's worth a first-round pick, he will not reach that value. So he's late first-round, mid-first-round, any first-round? Just first round regardless. Late late first round, maybe, but at the 15th overall pick, because we're talking about the Patriots. He will be a bust. I think at the 15th overall pick, he will be a mistake. So so if he is drafted top 20, he will be a bust. I mean, you're trying to put a label on it. I've said very clearly and explicitly. And first round, you said first round bust very clearly and explicitly. At the 15th overall pick, I'm not changing this sentence at all for, for you to, you know, make it what you want it out to be. At the 15th you overall said pick, bust. I think his ceiling is an average quarterback. No, okay. I That's get what it. I will say. Okay. His ceiling is an average quarterback, but earlier you did say he was a first-round bust. At the 15th. I don't know how many more times you want me to repeat the same sentence. No, no, because that's what you literally said. You said a first-round bust. Because I don't think he will reach the value of a 15th overall pick. Okay. We'll see. You know. All, obviously, this is all projections, but we'll see in the draft next season. Obviously, I think you are way lower on Mac Jones than I am. I think you are really underestimated Mac Jones and Cam Newton for that fact because you are underestimated Cam Newton as well. When I underestimate Cam Newton, I said I he had a great year think and Cam a team Newton, should re-sign him. Because Cam Newton is going to have a good season. When did We're, I say he wasn't going to? No, I know, I think you are underestimated Cam Newton. Why? Because I don't think he's a long-term option at quarterback. You, I don't think you even said that they should bring him back. That I they should go with Mitchell. You said they should direction. go with Mitchell Trubisky. I, I said if they were trying to win, then Cam Newton is a good option at quarterback. But I think they should start to retool. Is what I said. But the, you did say you'd rather have you'd rather than bring in Mitchell Trubisky to Cam Newton. If you're looking for youth, then yeah, that would make but sense. But I think no? I think I think telling a team to bring in Trubisky over Newton is underestimating Newton. Because Mitchell Trubisky is a oh, bust. I think it's trying to go into a different direction. With the first-round bust, who actually – and that's what Trubisky is. That's what he is. Yeah. He's not, he's right not now, a good, he's he's a not a good NFL bust. quarterback. Yeah, I agree. So you'd rather bring in a guy who's not who's shown he's not a good NFL quarterback over a guy who is a, is a good NFL quarterback. If you're, looking to, if you're looking to retool, it makes more sense to bring in a younger guy that could potentially have you know, so, some ability left at the NFL level rather than a 31-year-old. Running court, mostly running quarterback that has had a shoulder injury. Yes, to me that makes sense if you're retooling. Okay, we're going to talk about the Cardinals offseason now. So the Arizona Cardinals, while researching their offseason, I thought they needed offensive line the most. But after researching it, I think they need a bunch of other positions rather than offensive line. They have about twelve million dollars in cap space. They're guard, but they can make some roster cuts to open up more cap space. Justin Pugh was one of those guys. He was their guard. Cutting him saves $7 million. Robert Alford, a cornerback who hasn't played since 2018, can save $8 million. And Devon Kennard can save $3 million. After these cuts, they can, have, they can potentially have $23 million in cap space, but they have a bunch of pending free agents. Patrick Peterson, Larry Fitzgerald, Kenyon Drake, Devondre Campbell, J.R. Sweezy, Hassan Reddick, Kelvin Beacom, Chris Banjo, Drake Kirkpatrick, Dan Arnold, Andy Lee, Zane Gonzalez, Marcus Golden, Dennis Gardick, 
Ezekiel Turner, and Trent Sherfield. They have a bunch of key special team special team players who are going to be free agents, and a bunch of key players. We know Patrick Peterson won't be we, we won't be back. Larry Fitzgerald, we don't know what, he, what he's going to do yet, but hopefully for Cardinals fans' sake, he's not back because he's going to command some money, which could be used to for another position. But overall, I mean, I think they shouldn't bring back Kenyon Drake. They should bring back J.R. Sweezy, I think, just for just to have some depth. Hassan Reddick, they should definitely bring back. Kelvin Beacom was pretty was okay last season. They should bring him back. Trey Kirkpatrick, I would like for them to bring him back. And Andy Lee, who's been a good punter, and Zane Gonzalez, I would bring them back as well. But outside of that, I think everybody else can go. But they have a lot of free agents this season, limited cap space. So who knows what they are going to do to try to improve this roster. Yeah, I think when you're looking at the free agents list, the guys that they could potentially lose, I think at cornerback, you've got to look at bringing back Drake Kirkpatrick. You're losing Patrick Peterson, and I think Kirkpatrick will be a much cheaper option, and they're going to need cornerback help this upcoming season. I think it'll be a target for them in free agency, but keeping Kirkpatrick will, will help him out. I agree with you on Kendrick Drake. Kenyon Drake, I think they can move on from him, especially with Chase, Chase Edmonds waiting in the wings. I think... You know, he could step in and take over a good bulk of the load that Drake was carrying, and then maybe you look at drafting a running back later on. It's a pretty deep running back class, so there will be some options later. Uh, and, and there's also a bunch of good running back free agents that I think you could get for cheaper than Drake, who I think will get a pretty decent deal. Like he got, I think he had an $8 million deal with them this past season, so I don't think it makes much sense to bring him back. Um, Hassan Reddick had a monster year. Uh, I think he could command a lot of money. So as much as I'd like for them to bring him back, if they wanted to go cheaper, I don't think it would be bad to bring back Marcus Golden for a little bit cheaper. I, I know their money situation is a little tight, so if you could bring back Reddick, I think you should, but if the price tag gets a little too high, I don't think Golden is a bad plan B. Another guy, Devondre Campbell, is a guy who I think with their money situation you can afford to let go, especially because you have Isaiah Simmons waiting behind them. But I, I think you hit the nail on the head. They got a lot of guys that... With their money situation, they can let walk. Um, you said the, the kicker and the punter I would bring back. They, they had solid seasons, and J.R. Sweezy is another guy I would look at bringing back. But they had a lot of free agents. I think they had like 30-plus restricted and unrestricted free agents, and I would let a good amount of them walk. They, oh, and Larry Fitzgerald. I forgot to mention. Yes. The only way I would bring back Larry Fitzgerald is if he takes a big-time hometown discount, which I think he would. He should take it. He I wasn't think he that would, good he's, he's been there his whole career. So I, I could definitely see him doing that. But if he starts to command like some decent money, there are a lot better options that you could look at in free agency. The Cardinals finished number three in pass block win rate in 2020. I think these are their five biggest positions of need. Cornerback, wide receiver, center, tight end, and defensive tackle. Some targets at cornerback could be Brian Poole, Mackenzie Alexander, Mike Hilton, who's a slot, Michael Davis, or Chidobe Awuzie. For me, Byron Murphy is the only guy who will probably be starting next season. He he had an okay season. He had an up-and-down season, but I think he is the only solidified starter on the roster right now, and he plays slot. He's much better in the slot. Because of that, I don't know if Brian Poole makes sense, so I look to bring in a guy like Michael Davis or Mackenzie Alexander to fill in that void at wide receiver, T.Y. Hilton is a big name and option who can play outside or inside. 
I think they need to bring in an outside receiver, a wide receiver, because for me personally, Christian Kirk is more of a slot. He's more of a natural slot. Because of that, I don't want Christian Kirk playing outside. So Tyrell Williams could be an option. Bring him in on a cheap deal. Tyrell Williams isn't um, – he's a good receiver when healthy. He hasn't been healthy, which maybe they can take a risk on him and, ha- and he can have a huge breakout season. Sammy Watkins, Willie Sneed is there, Tim Patrick – who I'm really high on. I think he's going to go to another team and flourish. Kendrick Bourne, who's a slot. Rashard Higgins and Zach Pascal are options. Then at center, Corey Lindsey, David Andrews, Ted Caras, Alex Mack. Corey Lindsey and David Andrews are out of their price tag. Alex Mack, I think he wants to go to a more solidified situation. Because of that, I think they should bring in Ted Caras because Mason Cole was not good this past season. And then at guard, Joe Thune or Brandon Scherf, but I think both of those guys are going to command way too much money, and the Cardinals shouldn't go that route. At tight end, Hunter Henry, way too much money, but you got guys like Gerald Everett, Trey Burton, John o. Smith, and Robert Tunyon. I think they should go the route of Gerald Everett. I'm really high on Gerald Everett, and I think he fits their scheme really well, that air raid offense. And at defensive tackle, Kawan Short, Jarrell Casey, Daquan Jones, Dalvin Tomlinson, they have good, a good, they have good edge rushers and Hassan Reddick and Chandler Jones. They need some pressure inside. I think Daquan Jones couldn't be the, can be the guy that they target because he's not going to cost too much because he's thirty. Tennessee won't be able to resign him. That would be a perfect fit for him to go to Arizona. Yeah, just a name, maybe a couple of names that you didn't name because you hit on a lot of the guys that I was thinking about that fit their holes. I think cornerback is a place they have to look at first. And I don't know how much money that they'll be able to spend there. A guy like Desmond King is somebody I was thinking about for them. you know. But if, if they had to go a little bit of bargain shopping, I think a guy like Gary and Connolly, Ronald Darby could be guys that they look at. I, I like the idea of Brandon Poole. Uh, obviously, we've seen him with the Jets. He's been really solid. Um, wide receiver is, is another place they have to look at. But, uh, again, they kinda, they're, they're out on those top guys. They don't have the money for them. A guy that I was looking at, Will Fuller. You pair him back with DeAndre Hopkins. You saw how they worked out in Arizona. I think bringing them back would be a great pairing for Kyler Murray. We saw how it worked for Deshaun Watson, and I think that that would be a nice reunion. I don't think he would cost as much as those top-of-the-line guys, so I think that would be a good signing. And then on the interior defensive line, I think a guy in Shelby Harris would be a good fit for him You know, on that inside defensive line. He had a good season last year. And I, I think they could get him for a, a decent price range based on their cap space. So I liked a lot of the guys you mentioned, but those were some names that I thought would make sense for him. Yeah, they kind of have to go on a budget here. I think at cornerback, free agent, free agency is a good option, but I think they have to draft one no matter what they do. With the 16th pick, I think J.C. Horn is going to be there. Patrick Sertain probably will be gone. Yeah. So will Caleb Fairley. So it's J.C. Horn, and maybe if he's gone, they could trade back and get Tyson Campbell while acquiring more picks. But they, I think they draft J.C. Horn, but other options would be Elijah Vera Tucker, and maybe in the second or third round you get a guy like Trey Smith or Creed Humphrey. They do need a running back, so maybe in the second round if they can get Javante Williams if he slips that far. But I think if they draft Creed Humphrey, a center out of Oklahoma who played with Kyler Murray, that would be a good get because there's some chemistry there. So I would like to see them draft Creed Humphrey and J.C. Horn in the first couple of rounds. Yeah, you said the guy that I was looking at, J.C. Horn at cornerback, I think would be a great pick for him. If if for some 
unknown reason Patrick Sertain falls to him. That's a no-brainer pick, but I don't see any way he falls to 16, so I would go J.C. Horn. And if you don't want to go corner in the first round, I think a guy to look at would be Asante Samuel, maybe in the second or even third round. I think he's been pretty underrated in this draft process. I think, you know, obviously he's got the bloodline. I think he could be a solid pick in, in maybe the second round, but I think they should definitely go cornerback at 16 with J.C. Horn if he's there. My potential depth chart for the Cardinals this upcoming season on offense, Kyler Murray, running back Chase Edmonds, but that can change depending on who they get, sign, or draft. DeAndre Hopkins, Tim Patrick, Christian Kirk, Gerald Everett, DJ Humphreys, Justin Pugh, Ted Karras, Justin Murray, and Marcus Gilbert. If they do choose to let Kelvin Beacom go, I think Marcus Gilbert is still there, so he'd be a good option. And on defense, Zach Allen, Daquan Jones, Chandler Jones, Jordan Hicks, Isaiah Simmons, Hassan Reddick, J.C. Horn, Byron Murphy, Mackenzie Alexander, Buda Baker. And I don't think they have to bring back Chris Banjo because before Jalen Thompson got injured, he was playing really well. So I think Jalen Thompson will be their starting safety alongside Buda Baker. And that would be my, that would be my potential 2021 depth chart for the Cardinals after, these, after this offseason rebuild, you can say. They need to compete with teams like San Francisco, Seattle, and Los Angeles. So they have to make good and efficient moves to be able to compete with them. Yeah, the toughest thing is just going to be playing in that division with with the Rams going out and getting Stafford. We saw what that defense looked like in the playoffs. I think that's going to be really tough. The Seahawks, if they hang on to Russell Wilson and the 49ers getting healthy again. So, you know, working on a budget this offseason, it's going to be tough. But the Cardinals should have been a playoff team this past season. And maybe next year Kyler takes that leap and they can be the team that we thought they were going to be this season. The next team we are going to go over is the San Francisco 49ers offseason. They have $13 million in cap space, but depending on some roster cuts, they can have a little bit more. It's really hard who they cut, though. They can cut D Ford and save $6 million, but I don't think that's worth it. Jimmy G, if he's cut or traded, would save them $24 million. So that's a huge possibility. Weston Richburg, who is a really good center but has been injured, he he if he's cut, the team can save $8 million because his contract is not guaranteed by if he gets injured. Because of that, they can cut him. And they have a lot of pending free agents. Trent Williams, the biggest one. Richard Sherman, who won't be back. Solomon Thomas, first-round pick, disappointing thus far. Jaquiski Tart, Kyle Juszczyk. Tevin Coleman, Kendrick Bourne, Kwan Williams, Jason Verrett, Akello Witherspoon, Emmanuel Mosley, Nick Mullins, and Tom Compton. They have a lot of cornerbacks that are free agents, and that's their position of need right now. Based on some roster cuts, they can potentially have $21 million in cap space or 28, or if they let go of uh, if they let go of Jimmy Garoppolo, then up to $40 million if they let him go via trade or by cutting him. We'll see what they do, but I don't know. Right now, I think the priority is to just bring back Trent Williams out of this whole group. Yeah, I, I think that Trent Williams is the first guy you got to look at. He was really good this past season after you know some question marks this offseason coming back from that debacle in Washington. But you know, I thought he was solid for them. I think Jimmy G is going to be the first domino that it's kind of tough to judge what their offseason is going to look like right now with them being kind of cloudy about Jimmy Garoppolo. I've heard that the the only way they would move on from him is for Deshaun Watson. 
If they could do that, obviously, I think we could say that for any team. You do it in a heartbeat. I don't see that happening. Personally, I'm starting to lean towards what you've been saying. I don't know that the Texans end up moving him. And if they do, I don't think it's to the 49ers. So I guess they're going to move into next season with Jimmy G, which puts him in a bit of a tougher money situation. But outside of Trent Williams, two other guys I would say are priorities are at the cornerback position. Uh, Jason Verrett and Kawan Williams. I, I at least bring back one of those two guys because you're going to need corner help anyway. And, and if you could bring back one of those two guys, it would at least give you a, a lifeline going into this offseason where if you're hanging on to Jimmy G, you're not in the best money position. Yeah, so their positions of needs are at safety because they're losing Tart at cornerback because we've mentioned how many guys they're going to lose. Quarterback, you know, because I think they want, they want to upgrade – they want an upgrade over Jimmy and offensive line outside of Mike McGlinchey. Some free agent targets. I mean, they're balling on a budget, so they have to try to make the most out of this. At safety, I think Sean Williams is a good option. He's been a leader on the Bengals for years now. He would really fit well with the 49ers. Deron Harmon is a name to monitor. Angelil Adai, he's your free agent from the Chargers. At guard, John Feliciano, Lane Taylor, Austin Blythe. Brian Winters, DJ Fluker. At center, Ted Carls, Alex Mack, Corey Lindsey. Alex Mack is a guy that I think would go to San Francisco because he wants to win. Then at cornerback, Michael Davis, a young corner they can target. Um, Desmond King, Kevin King, who he had his stumbles in Green Bay, but he's an okay cornerback, and he was a second-round pick. And when you don't have much cast space, you have to take risks on guys who were high picks and another guy would be Garyon Conley or Levi Wallace. And, you know, out of these guys, I think you got to try to prioritize a safety and a center. I'd say go after Alex Mack and Sean Williams. And at the cornerback position, possibly Levi Wallace or Michael Davis. Yeah, I think center is a is in a, a position I was looking at too because, like you said, I think they're, they're going to move on from Richburg just because of the money situation. I like Alex Mack because I don't think he's going to command too much money. And like you said, I think even coming to a winning team, he might take even more of a pay cut. Um, and, and then I think depending on what they do at corner, that'll be another big, important position for him. And the money situation isn't going to be great. So you said a couple of names I was thinking of. Uh, another guy, Rasul Douglas, was a guy I was looking at. Um, Sidney Jones is another guy I was looking at. So you, you can't be looking at those, those top-tier guys, but – I think there are some some guys available, and maybe not the bargain bin, but cheaper than, than the top of the line that they can look at. Um, but I think getting healthy is the most important thing for them because that was what killed them last season. They have the 12th pick in the first round. They have 10 picks total in this draft, so they have a lot of draft picks to try and retool and get, those, get a lot of good players back. I think if Patrick Sertain is there, I think he will be there, and I think that is the direction that the 49ers go him or Caleb Fairley, and at safety, Trayvon Morig is going to be gone. But in the second round, if you can, or second or in the third or fourth round, if you can get a guy like Andre Cisco, I think that would be a really good deal. Then at offensive line, you got guys like Trey Smith, Christian Darrisaw, Jalen Mayfield, Sam Cosme, Alex Leatherwood, Liam Eichenberg, Tevin Jenkins, Dylan Dillian Radons. Like there's a lot of guys at offensive tackle that they can target and try to fulfill that need at center. Landon Dickerson and Creed Humphrey at quarterback if they want to draft him later. Maybe Kyle Trask is there. Maybe they like Kyle Trask. Maybe they want to draft Kellen Mond. They can go either way, but I think with this 12th pick, 
they have to get Patrick Sertain. Yeah, I've been saying it for pretty much every team that needs a cornerback. I think Patrick Sertain is going to be a stud. He was lining up against the best receivers in college football week in and week out, and he was lights out. So I think he's a no-brainer at 12 for them. If for some reason they didn't want to go corner, I think Christian Darisaw is another guy they could look at. I don't think it would be a terrible pick, but I do think they would regret not going Sertain. Um, Looking at safety, I think a guy they could look at later on Maybe in like the third, maybe in fourth round, Jabril Cox from LSU. He can play a little bit of linebacker, a little bit of safety. So I think he could be a good pick later on in the draft. And it's a deep receiver draft. So I think they should target receiver too at some point in the draft. But I think that's a concern for later on. Uh, Debo Samuel, I think, had a really good year last year. So I don't think it's as much of a pressing need as I thought it was going to be earlier in the season. But it's something they should look to address later on in the draft. My potential depth chart for the 49ers on offense, Jimmy G, Mostert, Debo Samuel, Brendan Ayuk. And I think for their third receiver, I really like Jalen Hurd. He hasn't had an opportunity yet, but I really like him. But if it's not him, get a guy like Danny Amendola, a veteran who can play the slot. Then at tight end, George Kittle, Trent Williams, Lakin Tomlinson, Alex Mack. I think they signed DJ Fluger to fill that guard spot and Mike McGlinchey. And on defense, Eric Armstead, Javon Kinlaw, D4, Nick Bosa, Fred Warner, Drake Greenlaw. And then at cornerback, Patrick Sertain, Jason Verrett, Akello Witherspoon, Jimmy Ward, and Sean Williams. This team is still really good. They have a lot of holes to fill or guys to, you know, they, they need to fill up that cornerback position. But all in all, I think the 49ers are in great position to go on another run if they remain healthy because that was the biggest concern with them last season. Yeah, and, and they're a really well-coached team. And even last season with the injuries, they were a tough team to beat week in and week out. It didn't matter who was a quarterback. They were putting up a fight late in the season. They played spoiler in a couple games that changed the outcome of the of the playoff format. So that division next year is going to be crazy. That yeah. division is going to be really good. I mean, you have the Seahawks and the Rams, I think, are early Super Bowl contenders. And then the Cardinals and 49ers are both teams that are easily playoff caliber teams. And they're going to be fighting for, like, the third spot in the division probably. So that's going to be a crazy division. Yeah, that's the the NFC West is probably the toughest division in football right now. There are some divisions that are up there, but I think in terms of quarterback play alone, the the NFC West has it right now with Kyler Murray, Russell Wilson, Matthew Stafford, and I still think Jimmy Garoppolo is a good NFL quarterback. So we'll see what happens next season. There are a lot of hosts to fill for the 49ers. And I think that Garoppolo is fine for Shanahan's system. Like, I don't think you need a quarter. I don't think you needed Deshaun Watson in a Kyle Shanahan system. And that's a lot of the reason that I said I could potentially see the Jets sticking with Sam Darnold this year because you don't need a guy to do too much at the quarterback position. And they showed that they went to the, to the Super Bowl with Jimmy Garoppolo. So. Although I think money-wise it might make sense to move on from Jimmy Garoppolo, it's not that bad of an idea to play it safe, go with a guy you know knows the system. He can get the job done, and as much as you know, I might have hated on him earlier in the episode, I, don't, I think he's a more than perfectly fine option at quarterback for the 49ers. So now we are, this does it for this episode of Pick Aside. We had 12 topics in total. The episode is two hours and 14 minutes long. Hopefully wow. you guys enjoyed it. It didn't feel like two hours. Nah, it felt pretty fast. So this is going to do it for this episode, episode number 71. Thank you guys for watching, and we'll see you next time.